Welcome back to Mending Moments Podcast. In today's episode, I had the honor and privilege of interviewing Matt and Pam Murphy. You'll hear their life story from how they're both raised in church, how they came to accept Christ as their Savior, how they met, fell in love, and got married. And even from there, you'll hear about how there was a desire in their heart that they wanted to have a child and how from the very beginning, God had a plan put together. And even those lowest moments where it just seems like nothing is going right, God is still moving and working in people's lives. Again, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us at mendingmomentspod at gmail.com. Or if you want to point us in the direction of maybe somebody's testimony, somebody's story that's you'd like to hear on the on the podcast, please point us that way. We'll get in touch with them. And again, thank you all for listening. Feel free to share this episode with anybody that's going through something similar or is facing some similar struggle that's being talked about right here. So anyways, let's get on the episode. All right, I'm here with, with Pam and Matt Murphy. Uh, they wanted to come by and share their testimony. So uh, as far as I start from the very beginning, let's talk about y'all's childhood. Y'all was raised, um, whichever one's go first, either Pam or Matt, and we can get got to go from there. All right, I'll start. Um, I was raised in church. Uh, growing up, church really wasn't an option. Um, I was never really asked to go as far back as I can remember. Um, I was in church. Um, now, the circle of churches that we're in, uh, I did not grow up in one of those. Um, I came from the infamous big church. I guess that's what you you hear it called in these little circle of small churches. You come from, mega church. Yeah, you come from the big church. Uh, it didn't start as a big church when I started it. Uh, what was then Chestnut Mountain Baptist Church, um, not far from where your dad pastored. Um, mm-hmm. At uh, I think when he started there, it was Welcome Home. But uh, uh, Welcome All. Welcome yeah. All. Yeah. And there's uh, new beginnings. Yeah. Um, I was, I mean, I was there from birth, 1989, and uh, it, it was uh, probably a couple hundred people, and it it grew, and then it split. Um, I don't, I don't really remember all the reasons that it split, but it split right down the middle, mm-hmm. uh, literally. And we were, you know, pastor left, person that did our music left. Uh, they called a new pastor and. By the time I was probably seven years old, all the Sunday school rooms were full. The sanctuary was full every Sunday. Um, and needed to expand. So we built the building that they're still in now. Sanctuary seats a thousand people. And um, and then by the time I was 16, 17, they needed to expand again. Built a 75,000 square foot expansion on the church, basketball gym. They already had a professional kitchen, built a huge professional kitchen, three floors worth of Sunday school rooms. Um, and it, if you would have told me when I was 18 years old that I would have ended up in a church like I'm in now, I would have told you you're crazy. Um, I mean, you go in church on Sunday mornings and you have the the Krispy Kreme over here and get your coffee and your donuts and you can go down the hall a little further and you've got any kind of breakfast food you can want you could want. Um you can even drink coffee while you're watching the service if you want. Um best music I've ever heard in my life. Um it was it was 
I, I grew with the church, so I didn't, it's not like we went out one day and like, oh, we're going to join this church because it's huge. Yeah. Um, the time I left, there was probably uh, around 2,000 people when I was 19 years old. Um, but in, in this, uh, I'll kind of revert back. Uh, it was a Friday night at Bible school, and a guy by the name of Tim Strickland was preaching, and uh, he said, you know, I want everybody to bow their heads and close their eyes. And then he led us in the sinner's prayer, as we all know it. And it's as easy as ABC, you know, admit, believe, and commit. You know, you admit you're a sinner, believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead for you, and then commit your life to serving him. And uh, he's like, you don't even have to say prayer out loud. Just, just say it. And uh, so I did. And he's like, if that's the first time you said that prayer, raise your hand. And I'm like, oh, I said it. Yeah. And then I, uh, you know, I was six years old. And so, and the next Sunday morning, I find myself in a Sunday school room, and they're like, oh, you know, we want to get you baptized and join the church. I'm like, okay, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, and nothing really hit me when I was that young, but when I was, around the time I was going into middle school, sixth grade, I really struggled with doubting my salvation. I just, I, I just didn't really feel anything there. 11 or 12. So. Yeah, I was really, really struggling. And I'll talk to my mom about it. And Now, this church had a youth pastor. This church had like eight pastors on staff, and they each had a different title. And she'd talk to him about it, and I just, he would talk to me, and I just, I, I couldn't really find anything. And we always went to a summer camp every year, and uh, it was in different places. This year it was at Covenant Bible College in Tennessee. And uh, the church I was brought up in was not like we we're used to, not very free. Um, it was Baptist, but very conservative. Um, so seeing the Spirit fall the way it did at this camp I was at, I really didn't understand everything that was going on. And I, and I was, I mean, I was born and raised in church, so I didn't, you know, I wasn't a bad kid. You know, I don't have the testimony of, you know, I was on drugs and drinking when I was, you know, 12. I don't have that. But I remember this preacher standing up there saying, you know, you know, if you're one of his, all he sees is the blood. He doesn't see your sins. He sees the blood. And that right there got me. It was at that moment I'm like, I'm lost. I'm 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 lost. And I I I'm crying like a baby sitting there in that seat and one of the most uncomfortable things in the world is I'm surrounded by kids my own age and I'm a I'm an 11 or 12 year old guy you know I don't cry yeah, yeah. Um, you guys are tough you gotta be yeah. cool you yeah, know, you gotta, and, yeah. And, and so I end up making my way up front and that is that is my defining moment I said a prayer that night I don't really know what I said I, I don't remember what I said all I know is it's that if I go back to a moment where it, you know, that that was that defining moment where I, God touched me and I knew it. Mm. Um, and, you know, I I lived my teenage years. I, you know, I, as a Christian, I think that's one of the hardest things to do because you're going to slip up. You're going to mess up like every other teenager does. Um, but after that, you know, I never, I, I never doubted again. Um, 
and then uh, at some point, I think a couple years after that, the church voted to take Baptist off the name. Um, so it was no longer Chestnut Mountain Baptist Church. Um, that 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 kind of made me think a little bit. I'm like, well, what are we doing that for? Mm -hmm. um, and so yeah, that's 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 pretty much um, pretty much takes me through my testimony. Fail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sure. yeah um, well, mine's similar to Matt. You know, I was raised. You go to church. You know, there's no staying home because I wanted to watch cartoons or didn't feel like going. You know, you Sunday mornings you got up and you went to church. Um, I. Uh, I don't think Matt mentioned this, but, you know, he, he had his dad and mom go to church with him. I was raised, my dad wasn't saved until he was on his deathbed, and praise God, he got saved on his deathbed. But growing up, my mom was a spiritual leader in my house. She's the one, my aunts, my grandma, because my grandpa was saved, at, um, you know, when I was born, but my mom growing up also only had her mom take her to church. So my family, the women are the ones that have been the spiritual leaders in the household, you know, as far as making sure you get to church and read your Bible and, you know, try to learn about Jesus. And so that was my testimony. You know, my mom would get us up, take us to church um, every Sunday, you know, revivals, vacation Bible school. I would go to three or four different vacation Bible schools every summer. That was just the thing to do. And I loved it. I had a great childhood. Um, and I was kind of like Matt said, you know, I think a lot of, church kids maybe struggle with this because I struggled with it when you're a good kid and you're raised in church the devil will use that against you sometimes mm -hmm. because he'll say you're already saved you're a good kid you haven't done anything bad you know yeah. so when you do start getting convicted mm -hmm. you're like oh well oh, you know that that message wasn't for me I'm not lost I'm saved and I struggle with that for a lot and thank God he gave me multiple opportunities because I've heard it said, you know, God only has to give you one opportunity. But for me, I struggled with it for a while because I was that good kid. I hadn't done anything wrong. I didn't feel like, you know, I needed to confess my sins because at that time, you know, you think about the sins, you know, I was like, I'm a good kid. I haven't done anything wrong. And then um, the way I was 13 years old and I was, it was in this church. I was about the third row from the back and I had been dealing with this for a while so of course you're not to call you're standing there gripping the pew like looking around like oh it's not me it's you you know and but this particular morning the i don't remember what the, i don't remember what the message was about i don't at that point i think the guilt of knowing that it's for you you kind of just tune it out so that's how it was for me. i don't remember what the message was about but i remember they were doing it was kind of funny they they weren't even doing an altar call when i got saved they were doing they opened the doors of the church and here i am at 13 i'm like you know what i don't, i should join the church you know if i've been baptized you know i'm a good age i need to join the church and and you know do what you're supposed to do as a good good christian kid mm -hmm. and uh right then you know some people say they haven't heard the, the lord talk to them well i heard him that day say you can't join the church if you're lost and that's when it hit me, like a ton yeah. of bricks. Yeah. I'm like, oh man, I am lost. And of course, I was a shy, quiet kid, and I was like, Matt, you know, I was sitting with the, the kids my age, and they were all around me, and um, most of them had already, you know, got saved and everything, so I guess everyone assumed I was saved, and that's what I was playing in my head. Like, mm -hmm. they already think I'm saved, you know, I, I, I can't go up there, and, you know, I don't want them to think about me badly, and, you know, all this. 
And then I remember God telling me, if you just take that one step, that's all it'll take. Just show me that you are obedient for me and have faith that it's only gonna, that I'm telling you, take that one step. So I took that first step out into the, the aisle there and I, I just immediate relief, like all the fear. So I remember when I was battling with the conviction, I had a big fear of dying. Yeah. Because as kids, you watch cartoons and you see all these people that get smashed over the head and then they pop right back up and they go on about their day. So, you know, for me, part of realizing that I was lost was that I had that fear of dying because it's like, you don't get that second chance. You die, you're, you're gone. Mm -hmm. And there is no popping back up and really and keeping, you know, still living your life. And so I had that fear of dying. And I realized when I took that first step, that fear was gone. And, and I felt like, you know, that peace that only God can give you. Yeah. And so I went on down there and I joined the church that day. So I got saved and joined the church the same day. And um, it was just, and the only, and I found doubts like Matt, you know, I got saved at 13. And I'm, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I, from, from 13 to 34, which I am now, that I've lived the perfect life and was always in church and was always a perfect Christian because that's yeah. not the case. Like Matt said, going through your teenage years, you know, of course, we, you get saved young, you know, you're going to have a lot of battles and, 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 and situations come up that you're not always going to make the right Christian decisions. And I had that as well. But in every situation that I got put in, I always had that conviction and the guilt. Him letting me know that's wrong. Yeah. And he's always walked with me through that. And that's, that's how I knew, like, oh, man, I shouldn't be around these people. I shouldn't be at this party. I shouldn't be holding this beer, you know. You know, I, I'm not supposed to be doing this. This is not what God made me to do. And mm -hmm. and if, in those situations, at that moment, you know, I was having a good time. But later on, it would hit me. And I'm like, you know, this I don't need to be, this is not my scene. I shouldn't be doing this. And I think I got out of that. I did most of my partying, if you want to call it partying. Um, I was a, like a terrible kid, but I did the typical teenage thing from probably 15 to 16, 17. And I met this guy when I was 17. We didn't start dating until mm -hmm. 18. You're 16. 16. We didn't start dating until we were 18 after we graduated. But at that time, I had kind of gotten my life more put together. I uh, gotten in trouble. My mom calls it a DUI. It was not a DUI. I was not driving. I was at a party. And the cops got called. And I was underage drinking. So, let's call it what you will. That was my wake-up call. Yeah. If you, I've never been in trouble with the police or anything before. Yeah. Of course, I'm bawling my eyes out thinking yeah. I'm going to go to jail. And he's like, look, the cop was real with me. He's like, look, I get calls like this about five times a week. He's like, you know, it's very common. You're not going to go to jail. You just got to go to court and pay the fine or whatever. And so I went to court and the judge, you know, said, I don't want to see you anymore in this system. Like, you know, and it was, I was one of those kids that just that's, it took that one time. That was it. And I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm done. I'm not doing, doing that anymore. And... So from there, I had to go get, and I was big, you know, my family wasn't rich, so these fines, I had to take classes and all this stuff, so that was my responsibility to pay, you know, my parents didn't pay that for me. Sometimes parents try to bail their kids out of situations and they don't learn from their mistakes. Well, in my case, you know, they didn't have to tell me to, but I, I already had one job and I went and got a second job. So I was working from 11 to 4 at one job and then 5 to 10 at another job. And... um and this, you know, it, it was good. I guess it kept me busy or anything. But I used that to pay off pay off my fines. And um, the only thing that was bad about that is 
I was working as a server, and of course, I worked every weekend. So that's how I kind of got out of church, because there was a small gap of time where I was out of church because of work. Because, you know, you work. I mean, I, I could have found a way to go. I could have found only went Wednesday nights or something like that, but you're so tired, you just make excuses. Yeah. But anyways, other than that time frame, you know, working as a server, I think for about two years or so, because he worked with mm -hmm. me, um, we were out of church. And then we quit that job. And then at that time, it was a little later when we get into our, our couple story, but um, we had to decide what church we wanted. We wanted to get back into church. Well, then we had Mr. Big Church over here. And I've been going to this church my whole life, a small church, mm -hmm. you know, if you want to label all churches. And so it's like, okay, well, where do we want to go as a couple? We want to go to church together. How do you pick the right one? Yeah. He thought his was the right one. I thought mine was the right one. So we just um, started going one Sunday to his church and one Sunday to mine. And we did that for a little while. Mm -hmm. And what he left out of his, he actually was in the youth band. So I went and saw, that's kind of how we got started. He introduced me to his church was he invited me to come. When we first started talking and dating, he invited me to come hear him sing. And I thought it was oh, so cool. Yeah. My boyfriend's in a rock band. Because pretty much that's what it was. It was a Christian band, <laughs> but it was a rock band. They had the laser light, yeah. the smoke machines, and the doors that were down. And as soon as the music started, it come up all slow and cool. And I'm just like, what is this? This is church. Like, I come <laughs> here. I mean, it was not, not a church I had ever been to before. But, I'm guessing you know, Matt had long flowing hair. He did. Long curl I, hair. I, I had the best. It was beautiful Afro curls in the world, but <laughs> so to 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 kind of catch up with her, I was always immersed in church. Um, it's it became a thing that when I when I got into and and kind of the way that a big church does things, they'll say that growth happens in small groups. So the way we did our Sunday school classes was we divided up by uh, grade and gender. So you would have like tenth grade guys and tenth grade girls and. So on and so out through the, 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 the big church youth group is sixth grade through 12th grade. That's pretty much how they do it. That is the youth. And uh, if you're not in that, you're in children's ministry. But um, so, you, you know, I was with a group of guys that I started with. And man, I mean, I knew some of them for so long. And we went up with each other. And we ended up having the same, the same Sunday school teachers from the time pretty much seventh or eighth grade on throughout high school oh, wow. um and so it really uh it was a really really good experience um but yeah i i got involved my you know we were old school baptist church we had a choir they wore choir robes um you know it, my mom was always involved in that and so i i, I got involved uh in the music pretty early and uh and by the time i was in high school it was, it was a serious thing at that church to do music and i was so I still remember the first time that Pam came there. She's like, she 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 looks around. She's like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> be because what she's not telling you is just those doors come up, but over to the left, there's this cafe where you can get any kind of food you can imagine on a Wednesday night. Every um, 10 feet, there's a new TV saying the same thing. I'm like, why do you need 10 TVs, but like five feet apart? Yeah. There were TVs that would show the service and like say announcements and stuff, and they had them all over the place. Um, but I was I was always I mean I think probably peak high school I was probably at church four days a week, five yeah. days a week. Yeah. Um, 
band practice and uh, one of my Sunday school teachers interned there so I was always up there helping him out do stuff um, so church was never really you know it, it, it's just always been a part of my life yeah. um, and what I thought was crazy is that I used to I used to make fun of small churches I used to be like you guys don't have anybody go in there there's obviously a reason why um and she'll tell you she's never really heard a sermon at the church I went to because went it's there, so different. Well, like I was saying, you know, we would rotate back and forth, and we did that for a couple of months. And the times that I would go to his church, and granted, his pastor at the time had some medical issues. Mm-hmm. So, but he would come out with his coffee and just sit down in his chair and pretty much just talk about what's going on in his life. Like, oh, well, I have these medical things talk. going on. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, it wasn't bad, but I didn't consider it preaching. I'm just sitting there thinking, like, well, when are they going to start preaching? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then it would end, and I'm like, oh, well, I'm not really getting fed here. And I didn't want to hurt his feelings, but it just, I wasn't getting fed. Like, it wasn't what I was used to, I guess, or expecting. It was way different. I do remember this one moment when... When we quit working at the restaurant, like we looked at each other. I don't know if you remember this, but like we can go to church. No. And that that that's that's one of the first things we said. We missed it. We really did. We were talking on Sunday. I didn't really know the the side of her that was close to God. I didn't know that side of you when we first started dating. Yeah. I didn't know that. Same with you. And I guess we'll go ahead and get into this because because this is you know how she told you that you know we can look back and see how God worked. Uh, I started at Johnson High School, and um, fantastic school. Um, that's kind of a joke, um, but uh, I have no idea. I, uh, <laughs> I uh, they large Hispanic uh, population at that school, um, probably sixty five percent at the time I went there, and so you had a lot of kids that English was not their first language, so. Obviously, test scores would be lower. Test scores were lower. So they sent a letter, and they're like, you know, you can... Bus bus transport, transportation will not be provided. You can go to either Fly Branch or Chastity. And, you know, I, I had some issues at Johnson, and so I'm like, well, <laughs> you know, let's, let's, let's go to Fly Branch. And uh, I didn't really know many people there at all, maybe three or four, but... We kind of, I don't want to say met through a mutual friend because I was, I saw her sitting across the table and her eyes were the first thing that caught me. And I had first period with one of her friends and I was like, who is that? And she told me and I, I was almost kind of stalkerish. Yeah, you were kind of weird. Because, (laughs) because, because I was too scared to talk to you. So I would just pass you notes and it's like. You would see me, but you had no idea who I was. Nope. So what um, What year is this? This, this is 05. So this is pre... Was this it, is it even MySpace? Year. I mean, was it even MySpace? Uh, MySpace, I think we might have been. Yeah, we yeah, were MySpace. friends on MySpace. Yeah, yeah. And early, early you were, social you were, media. You were, you were in my top eight. Yeah. <laughs> you were, you I were, remember that. You were, you were in my top eight, right? Right, right, uh, right next yeah, to Tom. Flip phones. Right yeah, next to Tom. Yeah. But, uh... And it wasn't like you could airdrop something. And, to her and, and, yeah. and then what's funny is, maybe not funny, but she really didn't want anything to do with me in school. Um, and I'll tell you why when he finished. Because, you know, <laughs> Pam thought I was a womanizer and that I always was, every time she would see me, I was with a different female. And so... Walking down the hall, 
all over all these girls all over him and then i just didn't want to have that reputation like and what? I, I, from a guy you can't help it i mean oh, I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but 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 pamela didn't want anything to do with me and he would go up to every girl at school give me a hug can i have a hug and he would ask me i'm like oh my hands are full sorry literally <laughs> like literally. i just didn't want to have that reputation we had a class um, right across the hall i'm like hey can i have a hug oh my hands are full i gotta go because some of the girls that he was talking to didn't have the best reputations yeah they were kind of on the trashy side, not trying to be judgmental, but just that's high school. And I didn't want to be associated with that. And, yeah. and I was a new kid there because I went to Buford from kindergarten to 10th grade. And I went to Fire Branch my junior and senior year because they were like buying out some land and we were moving. And so I moved from Buford to Fire Branch and I was a new kid and I had very little friends because I was just starting out and I did not want to be associated in that group of girls. Um, well, you had some self-respect. Yeah. yeah. And so, and also, I mean, I'm not the type of girl that just gives away hugs to every guy that asks. I mean, you know, that's just not who I was. I was a shy kid. Like, I I, I didn't, I barely talked to my girlfriends, much less the guys, you know. Yeah. But um, I eventually, you know, by the end of that year, I made some really good friends, had a really good tight-knit group of friends, and um, one of them was a mutual friend of ours, and she would hit me notes sometimes and tell me about him and she really encouraged us. But at that time, I had a boyfriend outside of school. So I told him like, we could be friends, but you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not single, you know, and he of course didn't care. He kept sending me letters and all this stuff. And, um, you know, so that's how we met. Or that's finally we met. Cause I was like, this guy's like, he says he sees you all the time. I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't know. remember that. I don't remember like the first time you actually realized who I was. I do not remember that at all. I don't really remember it either. I just know that Emily gave me a letter because we all sat at the lunchroom in the mornings. We all sat at the table together, and you know, I I guess I remember vaguely you there, but there was a whole group of people there that I didn't know. And then she would give me letters from you, and I'm just like, well, I'll write them back, but I don't know who he is, so I don't know if I see him in the hallway or not. I knew I didn't have any classes with you, obviously, but that's that's about it. And then I uh, I just kind of joked my way through Flower Branch, really. Um, yeah, because we only knew we only there was just that junior well, year. You yeah, know? and then I ended up going to a school called Faith Academy and finishing because um, I year. failed so many classes at Flower Branch that I had to take summer school to pass <laughs> um, to, to to graduate on time and. Uh, so senior year, we kind of lost connection. So, so, so we kind of lost touch, and she, I don't, it's okay. Okay. So she had moved in with this guy and lived in Dawsonville, and she would, uh, she would call me when she was back in town, and she's like, we should hang out. But then every time I would call her, she'd never answer, and so... Okay, you, I mean, it really didn't bother me at that point. But I remember one time I, I felt bad um, because you said, my friend told me there's a, there's a football game tonight. I'm like, no, he's wrong. There's not. It's our off week. And then you were like, oh. And I felt bad. So I'm like, well, there's one next week. We should go. And that, that, was, that was the night where, you know, it was like the the falling in love moment was 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 that. Your first date was a football game. Yeah. I wouldn't call it a date. 
I will call it just hanging out. It was more like we met. Because I do, I didn't really get to know him. Like that junior year, he gave me letters and stuff, but we never hung out or talked other than that because I didn't know who he was. Yeah. <coughs> so when I moved back home, you know, I just gotta have a see. I consider it a serious off on off and on again like four year relationship, and I was interested in dating. Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't want to be in a relationship. I don't want to be dating. But it would be nice to get out of the house. And I remember, you know, like we had talk, you no know, text every now and then during that four years I was, you know, dating this guy. We would talk, you know, just nonchalant stuff. <clears throat> but, you know, when I, he would always ask, you know, when are you coming back in town, blah, blah, blah. So when I finally did come back, I was like, hey, I'm finally back in town. Do you want to hang out? And like you said, I, I thought there was a football game. There wasn't a football game. But then he said, okay, well, let's go to the next one. And we met there, and we just kind of hung out as friends. And from there, I think it was like at least once a week we were hanging out. Um, the first, I, I don't know, I don't know. Our first official date was at Olive Garden. I remember that. Mm-hmm. But we hung out a few times. And I remember we were hanging out at his house. His dad was there. And we were just hanging out, putting some, like, this is how old school our relationship is. We were putting the glow-in-the-dark stars on his ceiling. Oh, yeah. <laughs> at his room. Yeah. And I remember, like, telling him, that's the first time I said I loved him. It was that t- day. But I remember telling him when we first started talking after that first football game, I said, look, I just got out of this serious relationship. I said, we can hang out. We can talk. You know, whatever you want to do. But I don't fall in love with me. Like, I don't want to be in love. I don't want to be in a relationship. Like, and it's funny because we had actually met at Walmart. It was around Halloween. And he's like, I was looking like for Halloween costumes or something because me and my friends were going to go to a party or whatever. And so we met at Walmart in Oakwood and we were hanging out and he was like, so aggressive. Like, granted, I, besides the four year relationship, I had never had any other boyfriends. My first boyfriend, he was my second and I married him. And, um, but we were walking around Walmart and as soon as I saw him, you know, I was like, hey, how are you? You know, and all that. He grabs my hand. And we start walking to Walmart, and I'm thinking, why is this guy holding my hand? We're just hanging out as friends. I made that clear. Like, we're just hanging out. Like, we're not in a relationship. And then he tries to kiss me. Well, he did kiss me. And I'm like, look, I don't know about you, but I don't kiss my friends. <laughs> I don't know about you. <laughs> and uh, he's like, well, you know, I just wanted it, so I went for it. And that's the day I told him. I was like, look, you know, we can hang out. We can be friends. We can talk, you know. But I don't. I don't want anything serious. Like I, I don't want you to fall in love with me. I, I don't want. I don't. I don't want that. And he's like, "That's fine. Can I still kiss you?" And I'm like, "Okay, you know, sure." And <laughs> I remember we were we were eighteen. Yeah, we were this yeah. time. We were eighteen. Yeah. And um, so we were just we just kept hanging out. Just you know, we would go to the movies and out to eat. And at this time, like I said, I kind of grew up poor. So going to Olive Garden and Texas Roadhouse yeah. and all these were like. Big yeah. fancy restaurant. Yeah. He's like, have you been here? And I'm like, no, I've never been there. He's like, oh, let me take you. So he spoiled me. I'm not gonna lie. He spoiled me when we first started dating. He was like, oh, let's go here. Let's go there. And we would just, you know, mainly eat. I guess we were foodies. We yeah. like to eat. <laughs> we would go out to eat a lot and go to the movies and, you know, just hang out. I'm and sh- that day we were putting the stars up in his room. I remember we were just sitting on the bed and I kind of like leaned against him and I was just like, I love you. And I was like, as soon as I said it, I was like. And we have been, this has been months. We have yeah, been yeah, together been, for a yeah, while. It was a while. And uh, as soon as I said it, I was like, no, I'm 
just kidding. I didn't say that. <laughs> and I started freaking out. I'm like, forget I said that. Forget it. Like, don't even. I'm going to go. I'm going to go home. <laughs> yeah. yeah, my phone's buzzing. I'm going to Basically that. And he just kind of like grabbed my shoulders. And he's like, it's okay. I love you too. And it's, I think it's just because I had been so hurt from that past relationship. Because there had been a lot of trust issues in that. And on again, off again, and all this. That you know, I was scared to love again. I was scared to let someone else in. And it had, I didn't, and you can ask him, I was very mean to him mm-hmm. when we were just talking and friends. I was super mean to him. And I think a part of me was trying to push him away because yeah. I felt myself falling in love with him and I didn't want that. So I would be like really mean to him, like, okay, like, you know, this will end it. He'll, he'll move on and find someone else. And, and he was still there. Like, even when I was mean to him, he would just, he would still call. And what was funny, so funny, he would say, okay, I'm going to call you. You know, when you get off work, I'm going to call you at five. And he would call me at like four fifty nine, five o'clock, and I'm like, "Why are you calling me?" He's like, "I told you I would call me, call you at five. And I'm like, "Yeah, but you're like no one's ever like my ex never would. He would say I'll call you, and he wouldn't call me. You know, it's just like it was very weird that he actually followed through with what he said. And so it was, it was a lot of learning how to be in a healthy relationship because I had a toxic relationship, and and I and I'm and I tell him all the time, like. I'm surprised, like, that's how I knew it was real love, because I had been so mean to him, and he was still there, and I, I still feel kind of guilty and bad about that, but, you know, no one, if I'm mean to him, I'm like, well, you got, you knew this from the beginning, like, I gave you the, my worst, <laughs> I gave you my worst at the very beginning, you knew what you were getting into, um, but once, um, those walls kind of fell down without me even realizing it, yeah. and we both said we loved each other, it was kind of like a, like, okay, and then, like I said, you know, with him, you know, we were getting back in church and we were trying yeah. to um, get back close to to God and that helped a lot with our relationship. Yeah, That's what I was going to ask. Was it like a mutual, we both missed church? We both yeah, it was, uh, it was, like I said, I, I didn't really know the side of you that was close to God because... Uh, we met when know, we were out of it. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we met when we were, you know... You know, working and well, we actually started know. hanging out after graduated. We yeah. were working and not going to church. And you know, we knew each other when we were in church. We so things went good for. Uh, I mean, things were good. We dated for a few years, and uh, then I, I, I think one of the biggest, you know, pivotal points, not in our relationship, but definitely in your life. Uh, I think it was probably. Oh nine um, is when it started. When your when your dad got sick, mm-hmm. um, and that was hard. That that was I mean because I was there <clears throat> at your house for a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Now you weren't with me a lot of times. You were in the room with him, but I was there, and I, I think that was definitely one of the biggest. You know, things that happened early in our relationship was biggest test was 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 your dad. Uh, I'll let you expound on that if you if if you want to. Can't remember exactly the year, but I know it was before I graduated. So I graduated in 07, <coughs> So it was probably about oh five. He first got diagnosed with cancer, and it was um, bladder cancer. He just was able to use the restroom one day and. Um, my dad was the type that never went to the doctor, you know, rugged, tough, you know, men don't go for their physicals like they should and all that. And 
So finally, when he realized he couldn't use the restroom, he would, went to my mom and she made him go to the doctor and they did tests and it turned out he had bladder cancer. And I can't remember what stage it was, but I think it was at least stage three or four. It was pretty late stage, but they did some experimental um, pill chemo and it went to readmission and he did okay for a little while. Um, I don't know how long, maybe a year or something like that. But he was supposed to go for his checkups, you know, after you get cancer, you have to go so many checkups a year, you know, to mm -hmm. just make sure nothing's coming back. And I think it went on for a couple of ch times, nothing came up, and I guess he just thought, I'm better now. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to go back for my checkups. And then I remember, this was in 09, you know, um, when he first got diagnosed, we... We weren't dating, but by the time he got diagnosed the second time in 09, we had been dating for a couple, you know, a year or two, about a year probably. And at that time, he found out it was back because he started coughing up blood. Yeah. And went to the doctor, and it was um, cancer in his lungs, and it had um, moved to, like, his, eventually in his bones and a couple other places. Um, but he started chemo and trying to fight it and everything, and... You know, this time around it was just too much. And it was really hard because he eventually, you know, my dad was always, if you knew my dad, he was just a go-getter. He never sat still. Mm -hmm. He was always either outside fi fixing a car, building a building, you know, you know, just go, go, go all the time. And he was always a chunkier, you know, always had a big belly, you know, chunkier guy. And the hardest part for me was watching this guy who my whole life, had, you know, always been going, get bedridden and unable to get out of bed and get down to, I don't know if you ever seen the pictures from like the Holocaust victims, how skinny they were with just skin and bones. Like his arms and legs got down that skinny because he just couldn't eat. He couldn't keep anything down and he would try to drink the insured drinks, you know, just to help him. And I, I mean, it was just, he got really bad sick and at that time, yeah, and, and this was just how great of a guy Matt was, because he would be better than in the bedroom. Well, Matt would come over and just sit in the living room and watch TV while I was under my dad. And so, like, even though he wasn't, like, with me, he was with me, you know? Yeah. And and that's what, he was a big support for me to get through that, because that's tough. I mean, it's really tough. I was, let's see, I was 21 when he passed, so this, you know, I was fairly yeah. young. 20. And um, it was really hard, but but I will say this. You know, everything, I think, every, I do believe everything happens for a reason. Um, and I believe that God let my dad get cancer to humble him down to get him saved. Because there have been a few times in my life where he would come to church, like Mother's Day, Christmas, you know, stuff like that. And he had told my mom, you know, if you had just took my hand, I would have went down to the altar. And my mom was like, you know, I couldn't do that. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. You have to, you, I can't save you. You couldn't, yeah. you know, you gotta have to do it. So I think he had battled with being lost for a while. And that's why he didn't want to come to church because of mm -hmm. that conviction. He was scared. And I imagine, you know, the older you get, the more that feeling of, you know, they already think I'm saved. I'm, I'm an old person. I should, you know, I, mm -hmm. I imagine there's that stereotype going through your mind. I'm a grown man. My yeah. kids are grown. They should think I should have all this figured out. Exactly. Yeah. And so I imagine he, he had battled with it for a while, but my mom knows more about this, but from her testimony, I could say this. They were sleeping one night, and I think he kind of knew that the cancer wasn't going to go away, and he was getting um, sicker. And and he woke up my mom one night and said, you know, I'm lost. I need to get saved. 
and my mom prayed with him, and he got saved. Yeah. And now, yeah, I, I'm I'm assuming that everyone has heard, you know, when you get saved, you're a new creature. You know, you, you should be able to tell that they're a new person. The people that were there that knew my dad, he was a changed person. Yeah. It was like night and day. My dad was never a bad guy. That's the thing. He was a great dad. Yeah. Like, he was always there for me. He, you know, did his best to provide for us. He he was never hit us or was abusive or anything like that. Um, very rarely lost his temper. You know, I've never, I can count one hand how many times I remember him getting angry or mad. And he was just, he was a good guy. He just wasn't a godly guy. He wasn't a godly man. You know, he didn't, you know, we just didn't do church or talk about God or talk about the Bible or anything like that. So, I mean, he wasn't a bad dad. It was just, but after he got saved, I remember him because I always spend time with him and, and and he would say, read the. He wasn't a very educated person. He would ask me to. He could read, but like you know, sometimes the Bible can be hard to understand or whatever, mm -hmm. big words or whatever. So he would ask me to read the Bible to him. Mm -hmm. My dad had never asked me to read the Bible with him. Yeah. So that's how I knew like he got what he got. You know, he would ask me to read, and we would just sit there, and he would just. He was always a quiet person, and after he got saved, he just wanted to talk to everyone and tell everyone what Jesus did for him, yeah. and then and, and that's how I knew. Like he really got saved, and 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 even though it was so hard, and I was at that time, I would get angry with God because I'm like, why aren't you answering my prayers or saving my dad? Like mm. saving him as far as letting him live. Yeah. And I would get so mad sometimes and be like, you know, why aren't you healing him? But looking back, I realized that maybe it took him getting cancer and humbling him down. That's what it took for him to get saved. And I'm not sure the Bible verse, I wish I could quote it better, but, you know, it talks about, you know, that God will kill the body to save the soul, basically. And I think that's an example I have of seeing that, you know, his body was dying and, and riddled, but he got new life when he got saved. And I know that he's in a better place and he's not hurting. And when he got down to the to really bad and having to have the pain pouches and we had to do hospice and all that stuff, you know, it was almost like a relief when he passed. Because I didn't have, you know, I didn't have to know he was in pain anymore. But that was, you know, that was before we even got married. And, and that was through, with me through that. And it was, it was a lot to take in. Because I was the one that didn't have a job at the time. My brother was only 15, so of course it was hard for him to handle. My mom worked. Yeah. My sister worked. I didn't have a job at the time. So I was able to spend all that time with him and help get those memories. And that's some of the best memories I have, like, you know, of course, it was rough seeing him like that, but I got to experience those. When you know someone's about to pass, you want to squeeze in as much time mm -hmm. as you can. And so I knew he was about to pass, and I got to have those memories that I hopefully will be able to hold with me the rest of my life. You know, I got to say, I got to read to my dad, I, you know, the Bible, and I got, I did his fingernails. Like, I, would, mm -hmm. I did his fingernails, and we just spent a lot of time together. That when you have a job and you have your bustle of life that, you know, I wouldn't have had. Yeah. Um, First Corinthians 5, 5 was the scriptures reference. Thank you. And so, <laughs> so that that takes us through 2011 because he passed in Yeah, he passed February in 2011. He fought for a while. I mean, he did. But once he got in his bones, it was not much they could do. Yeah. So this this point in our relationship is really... Where I feel that God started setting us up. Uh, I got a job the day after your birthday mm -hmm. in March at Publix. Setting um, you up for, for marriage? Yeah, this is when 
things in, in his mind in in, in, in my mind are are, oh. are 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 setting kinda 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 setting us up. Um I had uh I I knew about two weeks after we started dating that we were going to get married. Um, I, never, I did not. Uh, I, she didn't know that. Um, so, you know, I got this job and it really worked out good for me. I was there for over eight years. And uh, I uh, started part-time, eight fifty an hour. Not making anything, but I'm like, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, I, I wanted to start looking at rings. And, um, I did, and, uh... I had got a job with his mom. Yeah. And this was probably what, it was probably, it was 2011, October 2011. My dad passed in February 2011, so it was October 2011. And I had started off making $10 an hour, he was making eight fifty. And even nowadays, that sounds like nothing, but back then, it was still nothing. And looking back on, like... How we made it still baffles me sometimes. Like we were making eighteen fifty an hour. We had his car payment. You know, we had a house and all this stuff. And you know, if it wasn't for his parents, like blessing us to be able to rent the house from them, like I don't know how we could have made it. Like it was like we had we started from nothing, <laughs> and it's it's really even a testimony to when we, when we get to you know, further in our story, like, where we are today, I mean, we're not, we're not rich now, but, like, we don't struggle, and we're very blessed. Yeah, and so... From where we were, you know. What was going on at, from, from a church standpoint at this time, I don't know if we had met you yet, but Lynn was called here. Mm -hmm. I, before we get into that, I want to know what, because we never really officially talked about this, I don't think. When did you know you needed to be here? Because okay. we, we never, okay. we kind of went back and forth so, for a while. So, I, I, I didn't so really... y'all were going to different churches. Yes. And going back and forth. So, yeah. I, when I was, because I got back involved at Chestnut Mountain on Wednesday nights. Wednesday nights are their big thing. Um, you'll have 400 teenagers there on a Wednesday night. Wow. And uh, so that was their, their, you know, that was their big thing. So I got involved and... Uh, a guy who's a pastor now at Twelve Stone Church in Snellville named Trey Hildebrandt. I was leading a Sunday morning Sunday school class with him, and um, I told him uh, I kind of wanted to go the youth pastor route for a little bit because something that I hadn't heard, and it's crazy that I was this old and I didn't know this, I had never heard of being called to preach. I thought it was just something, let me go to seminary and figure this out. Let me go to a Bible college, and then I can go get this job. Um and so, um, Trey's like, yeah, you know, and his dad was big at the Chattahoochee Baptist Association. He's like, you know, they've got a group of churches. So he got me job. Uh, internship. A, an internship at a church in Jefferson, which if you've never been in a church like this, this church didn't even have a building. Uh, we were meeting at the Jefferson. Gym. Yes, at the rec center. And we had to set up and tear down everything every single Sunday, the stage, everything. Um, and I learned a lot through that, uh, but I remember it was during Bible school and y'all were doing Crocodile Dock and after my Bible school was over, I would come down here and I remember sitting at church one Sunday and just 
his rock of Christ was just just all over me. I couldn't focus on what I had focused on for 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 twenty years because all I could think about, like my my body was there, my heart was here, and that was like, see, you've never left a church, so and and I don't. A lot of people maybe haven't, but that was my sign. Like my heart is here. Mm-hmm. My body was somewhere else. and Because uh, he didn't tell me when he was going to join the church that Sunday. Mm-mm. They opened the doors of the church and he just joined. I'm like, oh, okay, I guess we decided. <laughs> Michael Michael Green was here at that time. And he... he you already married? No, no, we were still just dating. It, Michael, Michael Green was here at that time and he's a big reason. Um, you, you, know, you know, he may have had his differences with some people here, but he's a big reason why I came here. He was, he was so welcoming. Um, and like I said, if you would have told me when I was 15, 16, 17 years old that I would ever be a part of a church, that I would go from a church of 2,000 to a church of sometimes 25 on Sunday mornings, I would have told you you were crazy. You know, um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's really, you know, kind of what I knew. And uh, yeah, that's... So you joined the church. Mm-hmm. They now got married after that. You proposed and got married. Yes. After that, uh, okay. Lynn, Lynn had come to the church, and I did not. <clears throat> was I, Lynn here before or after y'all were married? Uh, after. Before. Well, yeah. Before. before. A little bit before. Yeah, because he actually married. Yeah, us. yeah. Lynn, okay. Lynn married us. Okay. Um, and I did not know, but apparently Lynn is like a family member to her okay. family. Like they, okay. cause he pastored Rock of Christ when he was 21. When I was yeah. two. Yeah. And she I was, was two years old. Yeah. So we've known him my whole, I've known him my whole life basically. And um, he's always meant a lot to my family. So when a situation happened here at the church and Michael left, we didn't have a pastor for a vacation Bible school that a lot of work had already went into. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, it, it wasn't just my idea. It was a few other people's ideas. If, if there was a child, we didn't really have any home preachers at that time either. Mm-hmm. You know, so if a child was to come under conviction, you know, we didn't have any preachers here. I'm not saying that you had to have a preacher there to get saved, but mm-hmm. you know, we just were like, you know, we need somebody here. Yeah. And of course, you know, Lynn's always been our go-to guy, I guess you could say. Yeah. And so, you know, he just has a big heart and we knew he would come and help. And, um, I don't remember who called him, but my mom or Wanda or somebody, but someone reached out to him and he's like, you know, I would love to help. So he came down yeah. with intentions of just helping us get through that week of vacation Bible school. And if there was any, you know, kids that need, had any questions or yeah. anything like that. And um, I guess when it came time to elect, we had had a few people come up to preach and stuff and, you know, his name just came up and he got elected and. <laughs> I don't remember what year that was, but uh, I know it was before 2013 because we got married in April 2013, so it was yeah. somewhere around there. Oh, 2011, 2012. Yeah, yeah we, we somewhere around. We there. had, and so we asked Glenn. Well, let's 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 pause right here. Believe it or not, it's been 50 minutes. <laughs> okay. So let's pause right here. Let's take okay. a break, then we'll come back and talk about uh, Lynn coming in, yeah. y'all's marriage, and we'll yeah. keep going from there. Okay. So yeah. yeah. Back here with with uh, Matt and Pam Murphy. Uh, so where we left off was Lynn Land coming down here to help fill in with the VBS. 
Uh, so let's go ahead and pick up from there and talk about how he was voted in and um, y'all, he married y'all and yeah. go on yeah. from there. So Lynn, uh, I mean, with 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 the church in the shape that it was, um, we didn't have many male members that were still here. Uh, we didn't have a home preacher or uh, deacons. Deacons. Well, no. No, no, we didn't have uh, deacons or anything. So, so <laughs> that's just the window closed. Just ignore it. Yeah. So, I don't really remember like what led to Lynn getting voted in, but uh, I do remember we ate at Sonny's barbecue the day he was voted in, and we met him there. Because he didn't want to stay for the conference. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, We told him, hey, you're a pastor. Hey, you're a pastor. <laughs> um, and um, and th- this is one of those things where I didn't realize it at the time. But I believe that everything that happened happened to lead up to our marriage. Because I wasn't one of those girls that had a, a wedding journal or wedding binder that said, this is going to how I want it. This is, I wasn't one of those girls. I never really thought about marriage that much. Mm-hmm. Now, I knew I wanted to get married one day, of course, but I wasn't one of those girls that just sat and daydreamed about it. But looking back now, I couldn't think of anyone else other than Lynn to who I would want to marry me. Mm-hmm. So I think him coming here before when we were dating kind of worked out because like Matt had said, you know, I've known him since I was two years old. So it was really special that I, at the, he was... I mean, you know, most people use their pastor at their time when they get married, so it kind of worked out good for me because this guy had already meant a lot to me and my family, you know, got to watch me grow up, and now he's my pastor, and it, it just worked out really great. And so when we talked to Lynn about marrying us, um, he told us that, you know, he had another couple he was marrying as well. Terry and Daniel. Yes. And he... <laughs> and, uh, he wanted us to take a marriage class, mm-hmm. and Mark Caruana pretty much kind of like counseling, uh, you know. Did 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 this class, and that was great. Um, it, 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 that's that's where we met Tara and Daniel, mm-hmm. and um, became friends. Became friends with them, and uh, you know that was good. It, it, it was. It was also, I met Kim there because she she was there too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Dwayne, I think, was on the road, but she came, you know, just for support. And so. You know, we, but it was a while before we got married because this was in 2012 and we didn't get married until 2013. We were engaged for a year and a half, somewhere in there. And at this point in, in, in our Christian life, uh, everything's going really good with, with, with Lynn being here. Like I said, the church didn't have a lot. So your dad actually taught Sunday school down here. Mm-hmm. Lynn uh, brought in some help. Lynn, 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 Lynn brought in Robert, and he taught Sunday school down here. I would say he tried Sunday to teach. School. He tried to teach. He just preached all the time. He, he, would, he, would, he would just preach yeah. every Sunday morning. <laughs> That's what I got done um, preaching. Um, I would get preaching twice on get Sunday. Dose. But uh, Lynn said Robert has a thimble for a cup, so <laughs> it, it, it runs over easily. But that's, you know, that's when we got to know Robert and Janice, and through that we met you. Um, and you know, our church didn't even have an Articles of Faith, and um, we we Lynn was the one that kind of said, you know, the church needs to stand on its own. So with the help of Lynn, 
Trevor, Daniel, and you helped us form the articles of faith that our that our church stands on. I think I was more just a witness. I don't know if I really. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> really... you 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 are the group. You yeah. you know that group. I know all those all of y'all are younger than me, but you still got to think. I'm new in this church. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm new in this way of. He doing was raised church. up Baptist, but not the Baptist I was raised. Up. If you if you, I mean, like you say Baptist church, and it's so different. So many people have you say church, and so many people have so many different views mm-hmm. on what church is, and you know. So I was new to this way of, I guess, if you want to put it, doing church. Yeah. I was new, um. And so, but I mean, our Christian walk at this time was really good. I I don't I know it was before we got married. I believe. Mm-hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong. But Lynn asked you to be church treasurer. Yes. Uh, that happened. This happened. Oh, I mean, right after Lynn was elected, because we lost all of our officers. And here, Pam and I are in our We're early young. early twenties, mm-hmm. and I mean, barely know how to manage our own bank accounts. <laughs> And Lynn's like, you know, Lynn pretty Lynn, much put it on me to do it. At the same time, he talked to your sister about uh, being the secretary. Being the secretary. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. And so many times Lynn sat us down and just kind of helped us. Helped us and showed us how to do things. And we still hold that role to this day. And, mm-hmm. you know, the church is doing so well financially. And, you know, we owe a lot of that to Lynn by. You know his wisdom, not his, just his, for church, but his, his wisdom on the business and how a church should run. How to balance um, books, how to how keep to, record, how to balance yeah. books, how to do things right, yeah. how to run a conference right. Um, because I do believe that in the church there, there's there's business that needs to be handled, and I do believe that there's a right and a wrong way to handle that. Yeah. Um, he helped us learn that. And Lynn, Lynn, Lynn really helped us, and you know I remember multiple times. I don't know every reason why we were at their house. I know one time we were making fried apple pies. To sell at the to sell uh, festival at, or something. Uh, festival in Flyer Branch, but like I've told you, there's that one time that we went and had steaks at his house and it was just us. I have no just idea what we were there. Just because, I guess, yeah. Um, yep. But, you know, they became really good friends mm-hmm. to us and really good mentors. And Lynn, one of the best things about him is that he's not a person that's going to tell you that he's perfect. He'll, he'll tell you quite the opposite. You know, he says all the time he's got skeletons in his closet. And that that's that's when, you know, everybody does. Mm-hmm. Everybody has that. Mm-hmm. And that's, but Lynn, Lynn and Annette were monumental. In, well, they, they saw this was worth investing their time. Yeah. And even with y'all, I mean, not to get ahead of the story, but you mean you're a deacon now. Yeah. So, I mean. That, I'll, I'll get into that. That happened, um. In 2015, Lynn had left um, on good terms. There was nothing. It was just his time to go. And we ended up calling Jacob Cantrell here. And uh, I knew it was coming. I talked to Pam about it before. I, it just kind of God put it on me. Um, and, and to me, it's a culmination of, like I said, I've never been the whole person... I've never been the person that's going to go to church and be like, all right, I'm going to sit here, I'm going to listen to the service, and I'm going to leave. I've always wanted to roll up my sleeves and get yeah. my hands dirty and yeah. work in church. Help out where we can. And, and, to, and to me, that's a, 
the, it was kind of a culmination of that and um, being ordained is probably next to your wedding day one of the coolest days of your life um, so it's a it's it's a really special day and um, something not to be taken lightly yeah um, but that happened in 2015 and since then it's it's just been a whirlwind of um, Jacob was here for a couple years and he left and then we had nine months mm -hmm. where there was nobody. You preached here one time. Yeah, we had and, Dennis, uh, thankfully. See, that's one thing, when we he joined, we got our first deacon at Brother yes. Christ. Yeah. Um, he, he joined, uh, joined the church, we uh, joined him as uh, being, a, well, I don't know the te terminology, but he like, was, he was when, accepted as Yes, he was accepted as a fully ordained deacon, and that's something that Rock of Christ had never had. And that was our first deacon. He, he was our first deacon, and I'm I'm the second, and we're dating our third soon. Oh, um, good. Yeah. Um, but, you know, everything is, like you said, was has, has just been kind of a whirlwind of, you know, what Life. can we do? And, <laughs> I mean, there has been those times. I've, I've, I've heard it said by preachers. I've heard it said by deacons. There has been those times where I've walked out of this church, and I'm like, I'm not coming back. I'm not coming back. I'm not doing it. We're just, we're just going to stay at home. She's not going to do it. We do too much. We're tired, you know, <laughs> but God's never let us quit. And I, I think from saying that can go into, um, we'll go back. We kind of skipped over our wedding day. <laughs> we'll go back to um, when we got, you know, we did the counseling with Lynn and I guess we deemed we passed. I don't know. Yeah, I, don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't we know did, what happened. You know, we, they didn't kick us out of the class. I guess we, we survived. We still wanted to get married at the end of it. I don't know how you determined, but I guess we passed. Um, so we got married April 27th of 2013. Yep. Um, and I had always, you know, wanted, like my dad, when I think about my dad, I think about nature. Cause he was always the type that wanted to go hiking or like I said, we grew up poor. So like our summers and weekend trips would be going hiking cause it was free. You know, pack a picnic, cheap lunch picnic and go hiking. That's what we did on our summers. So when I think of my dad, like he was always outside, he was always showing me stuff. And, and so I've really wanted to get married outside. And it's kind of funny. His parents going back to his grandparents, his yeah. dad's parents had, um, um, been on, uh, the, What's it called? The board, board directors. the board of directors at a place in Helen called Lorelei's Resort. It's a timeshare place, and they have been there, and it's beautiful right by the Chattahoochee River. Uh, there's a big gazebo, and um, we had actually, before when we were dating, we had went on vacation there a few times with his parents. We were in separate rooms and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. you know? His parents are very, you know, they let me go on vacation with them, but, you know, we, we, were, we were in separate rooms, and, you know, shout they shot from, all that stuff, but... Um, so when we decided, when he did propose, which we'll get to because that was kind of funny, um, I decided, you know, I want to get married outside in Helen because I didn't have my dad there physically, but that made me feel like he was there because that's, he would have loved that place. It's very beautiful, very outside. And, and so that's where we decided to get married and we decided, you know, we want Linda marry us. Um, so what about the proposal? He... Okay. I love him to death, but he cannot hold a surprise, like, with a bucket with holes in it with water. Like, he, like, he, he gets so excited, he's just like, 
if anything, I got my the ten year anniversary ring like six months before our ten year anniversary because he, he was just so excited to give it to me. So he said he had this big thing planned out, which I'll have to tell you because I don't know what it was. But he had picked me up from work, and the same day that he got my ring, he proposed because <laughs> he said he couldn't wait. And, and it was really, it worked out good because, I mean, it was still sweet how he did it. I, I guess he was just on the fly. But he picked me up, and I remember I was reading my book, and I was go I was remember driving. We were, he was driving, I was reading my book, and. Oh, I was going to say. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and I remember thinking. I don't think you said marry me, I think you said stop. I was, I was very, uh, I was very, like, just off work, you know, kind of like, oh, I don't feel like talking, whatever. Not really in a bad mood, but just kind of like, ugh, tired. And he was like, do you hear that? And I'm like, no, I don't hear anything. I think something's wrong with my tire. I better pull down here and check it. And I was like, okay, whatever. I don't hear anything. So he pulls down to our high school, our old high school, Flyer Branch High School, where we met. And they had something going on in the football field. I don't think it was a football game, but there was something going on in practice or whatever. And he pulls in the parking lot, and I'm still just reading my book, like, whatever. And he comes to the side of the door, and he's like, hey, can you get out here and help me look at this tire? And I'm thinking... I don't know anything about cars. Why are you asking me to get out? You know, I'm just like, well, what do you want me to do about it? You know, and and, I, and there's something, you know, they say that, you know, I don't know if it was God or just intuition or whatever, but when we drove, when we were driving down there, I was just like, he's going to propose. And I was like, nah, because even though we had been dating for five years, it just, we were happy and comfortable in our relationship that I just didn't feel the need to like push it. You know, I just, it wasn't on my radar at all. Because he hadn't really talked. I mean, we had talked about, yeah, we, you know, we were going to marry one day, one day but, maybe. like, it hadn't been, like, on the radar for me. So I'm just like, you know, you know, whatever. It'll happen when it happens. But something just hit me, like, he's going to propose. And I'm like, nah, he's not going to. But anyways, so he asked me to get out of the car, and I get out, and he's just like, I don't remember if you, all I remember is, like, will you marry me? I, I just said, you know, we've been dating for a long <laughs> He didn't say anything real big. I, like, didn't, I didn't really have anything profound to say, but <coughs> I, I proposed, and she said yes, and uh, she called her. This is funny. She called her grandmother and was like, hey, I'm engaged, and her grandma was like, to who? <laughs> <laughs> like, the guy I've been dating for five years, you know? Um, but, so, yeah, um, so you heard about the wedding day, and then, you know, so... We, we, we took a nice week-long honeymoon, and after that, you know, that's kind of when life starts. You know, you get back and... Um, the wedding was nice, though. There's a few things on there that I thought were special. Like I said, I'm all about details. Like I said, it was an outside wedding. And, of course, when I thought the end of April, I wanted a nice spring wedding. I had a strapless dress, and I thought it was going to be warm and nice and springy, not <coughs> cold and rainy and... Mm -hmm. And overcast and um but Georgia weather. Yeah. But it, it it came to the point, you know, we're sitting there and it had been raining and it stopped and raining and it stopped and there came to a point where people were just like, you know, we don't want you're gonna have to do it inside. This you know, the clubhouse was nice but it's kinda small and they're like we're gonna just have to figure out a lot of ways because we didn't have a backup plan. It was just, you know, we're gonna do it outside. And Kim Gravit was my hairdresser and my friend, and she was like what do you want? I remember this. She's like, what do you want to do? This is your wedding. What do you want to do? I was like, I want to do it outside. I, I want to do it outside. I plan for it to be outside. I want to do it outside. She's like, okay, I'm going to go talk to Matt. And from what you told me, she came to you and said, you know, people are telling Pam, she has to move it inside. She wants to do it outside. What do you want to do? And he told her the best thing the husband can say, whatever she wants to do. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. <laughs> and so Kim came back to me and she said, Matt's game with whatever you want to do. What do you want to do? And I said, I want to do it in outside. She's like, we'll do it in outside. And that was it. I don't know what she did or what she said to who she said it to, but... <laughs> You know, yeah, let's give those details. Are boring. You don't, you don't want to and, tell me. And so, <laughs> as, as pretty much said, you know, if people don't want to stay out in the rain, it could be me and Matt yeah. and Lynn. I know Lynn would have, if I would have asked oh, him, yeah. he would have stood out there in the rain oh, with yeah. us. Like, I want to do it outside. And thank God, right before we were going to start, it stopped raining. Mm-hmm. The ground was wet, but it had stopped raining. And I don't know if you remember this, the gazebo had like these little flower bed um, sections where they had flowers, and there was a little goose <laughs> that had made a nest there. And she mm. sat there in her nest the whole time during uh, our little wedding. She make any noise? No, she was just quiet right there. She was our little wedding guest. Wow. And I remember Trevor saying, like, you know, that's a good sign. You know, raining on your wedding day is supposed to be a good sign. And we had that little goose there as a good sign. And like I said, last week, um, or a couple weeks, it was last week, last week was we uh, sort of elevated our 10-year anniversary. So I guess it was pretty good luck. So I imagine through those 10 years there's been some ups <laughs> and downs, huh? Yeah. Just a few. Um, so we went to Disney World for our honeymoon. Went to Disney World for our honeymoon. That was good. And came back. We come back, and that's when you know, just like I said, life starts, and we. The only struggles I would say that we had from before we get into the the main big blessing that we want to get into talking about was he he was working at Publix still, and I had an office job, so my hours were Monday through Friday, eight to five, and he worked retail hours which changed but mainly was like two to eleven you know a couple nights a week and then on the weekends he would work a lot um so nights and weekends i was at home by myself with our cat you know that was our first little we had a little cat and then we eventually got a second cat um that was my company because i was home by myself and i i was okay with it because i'm an independent person but it did get lonely at points and you know i started thinking in my mind like i didn't get married to spend every night alone and it's not like, you know, he wasn't out there cheating on me or anything. He was working. So, you know, it's not like he was doing anything wrong, but it's just one of those things like it, at first I was okay with it. And then it kind of get, started wearing down on me. And, you know, I, I, and, uh, I wasn't in trying to make an argument, but that's the main thing we argued about was just, yeah. you know, we didn't have that time to you, you were missing family events mm-hmm. and anyone that works in retails can probably relate to that. You know, it, it does take a toll on your family, mm-hmm. family life. And um, but other than that, well, we didn't, I'm not going to say it was perfect when we had a little spats, but yeah. I don't remember there being any issues. No. And, you know, of course, after a year or two of being married, you get that question that all newlyweds do, when are you going to start a family? You know, uh, you know, are y'all going to have kids soon and all this stuff. And it was one of those things we hadn't really talked about before we got married, but we kind of, you know, we kind of, we always knew we wanted a family. We come from... His grandparents were married 50 plus years. My grandparents were married 50 plus years. His parents have been married 40 years and counting. 40 years and counting. My parent, you know, my dad hadn't passed away. They were married over, over 30 over years. 30. So, you know, we've had a foundation of family. Like, we know that marriage is forever, you know, I've done right. And and we have that platform. We, you know, we were taught what a good marriage is and, 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 and longevity. And so we always knew we wanted a family, but, like, we just kind of had this lackadaisical feel to it. Like, it'll happen when it'll happen, you know? And, and, and I remember, you know, my parents told me, like, take a couple years yeah. and be a married couple. You know, take a couple years. And, you know, there's things like we used to do. I mean, 
uh, you know, I get home from Publix at 11.30 and you're like, hey, let's go to Wendy's. Wendy's Road. <laughs> Wendy's Road. Yeah, let's go to Wendy's yeah. or Taco Bell or something. Yeah. Um, you, you know, and so take that time to be the married couple because we did things the way I believe is right. We did not live together before we were married. Uh, we got that question a lot. Yeah. Uh, I, I remember getting that question like, you know, aren't you going to live together so you know what it's like? No. Yeah. Um, we're going to do things the way we need to do them. And... So, yeah, I mean, you, you start to get the question. Not from my parents, but no. we'll get to that. Right. Um, Everyone else. Not from my parents, but from everybody else. You, you. And, and I will say, not to get too personal, but I was on birth control for about a year yeah. or two. Because, you know, it was like a year. I think about a year because your parents did say, you know, you don't want kids right away. Or they didn't tell us that, but she said, if you don't want kids right away, you know, you should get on birth control to get have it in your system. So I was already on birth control yeah and then after about a year i just stopped taking it you know because i mean obviously i was taking it here and there because i wasn't really i'm not the most organized person <laughs> and so we just stopped taking it all together and it was one of those things we we weren't really trying but we weren't not trying we weren't preventing and things just never happened it just never happened like we we you know we got busy with life we, we always stayed busy whether it was doing stuff with friends doing stuff with family work church we were constantly busy and it's one of those things before you know it you've been married five years and you don't have a kid mm -hmm. and it's like you know you see some people they go out one night stand and they get pregnant so it's kind of like hmm you start wondering like why isn't it happening for us you know something that's so, so easy for some people that they don't have to try but you know why is it not happening for us and you know I really started to struggle with my faith at this point because, like Matt said, we tried to, I mean, we weren't perfect, but we tried to do things the right way. We waited uh, to live together before we got married, and we had decent jobs. I mean, they weren't good jobs, but they were jobs, you know. Uh, we had our own home. We had our own vehicles, you know. We, we tried to do things the right way. We were in church. We were involved in church, and, you know, and we were just like, you know, why is it not happening for us when it's so easy for other people who, you know, we... You know, we deemed as, not that we were better than them, but, like, we seemed to be better, in a better spot in our lives to raise a child versus they were, you know. Yeah. And well, you, I You struggled. hear those stories of people that can't even support right. their own families and they have another kid. Yeah. yeah. Or so. people that have a child and just, you know, throw them in a dumpster or something. It's like, you know, you know, we would love that child. Why is it not happening for us? And, and also go back, this is during Roe v. Wade when it was enacted, so you could get abortions. Right, yes. exactly. More easier than what it is now. Right, it's this was the early 2013, 2014, 15, 16, you know. Yeah, we're, we're, we're getting close to, we're getting close to 2017 now, and I remember there was a few times, uh, I still remember talking to my manager at Publix about it, you were, you were late one month, and I got so excited. Yeah, I got, those I, were tough nights. I, I, got, I, got, I got excited, and, you know, and... I was talking to him about it because I really thought that this was this mm -hmm. was one time. Looking back on it, I don't I don't know what made that time different, but I was utterly excited, um, and uh, you know, of course, it you know ended up being it didn't happen. And uh, I remember around that time you had started making a few doctor's appointments and uh, you know kind of doing the things that people that can't have kids do with ovulation tracking and all mm -hmm. that stuff and uh, we had started that and uh, you know we, we, we had been doing that for there's years. certain things like natural things like there's vitamins you could take and and like over-the-counter stuff 
because I, you know, I, like, I wasn't a big, like, want to take kind of medicine or, and I don't like needles, so I didn't want to have to do, like, IVF or anything like that. So there's just, like, some, like, home research that we did that we started trying to do our own. Um, and then if you go to the OBGYN, they're going to tell you, you know, you have to do a year of actively trying, like, the tracking and all that stuff before they'll do any, like, intervention on their part, you know, prescribing you medication and stuff. So that's where we were at, you know. We're, we're at this point, and there's a night. And I know we both remember it. Uh, I don't know if Tony was even our pastor yet, uh, but maybe he was. We were at Antioch over in Hamilton Mill one night. Ronnie Coley is the pastor over there now, and he was then. And um, Claypool was there. Claypool was there. So I think Tony was. Um, so Tony probably was our pastor, but Claypool was there, and her mom is was was raised with Claypool. Was as raised with Claypool and was as is as religious of a person as I have ever met. And she was she was in the battle with us as far as being, you know, you know, kind of questioning. Then she why was not, she was she was in the fight with us, and so she stands up and she says. I want my daughter and son-in-law anointed, and I want you to pray over them. They've been having, a, they've been trying for a baby, and it's not happening. And she doesn't care who she's embarrassed. Yeah, she just, she, she you know, has that strong of a faith. Like she just wanted, she feels like we need to be prayed over. And so, Ronnie thought that he was talking about him. And so Ronnie gets up, and you know, she wanted Clay to pray over us, but Ronnie prayed over. Ronnie us. gets up and does his thing with the oil, and he prays over us, and it's fantastic. Um, and at the end of the prayer, he looked at us and he said, I'm not going to question what God has shown me, but there's more than one way to have a child. I remember him saying that yep. to me. Oh, wow. he, he, he says this, and like I said, this is 2017. Um, so, I mean, yeah, we kept on. With, you know, we kind of got to the point because he asked, you know, do you want to do IVF? Do you want to do all these procedures? Because I don't know if you... I mean, there's some very invasive things. Mm -hmm. And like Matt said, his parents didn't question us because his parents had a hard time conceiving. And um, his mom had told me a lot of procedures and stuff that she had to go through to be able to conceive him. And they were actually about to start the process of adoption when he they conceived with him. Um, and so just hearing some of her stories and stuff, you know, it's just not something that I really wanted to go through at that point. And so we just kind of had the conversation <laughs> like, we're okay if it doesn't happen. We didn't get married just to have kids. No. We're a family. You know, God's blessed us with nieces and nephews, you know, and there's kids here at church. You know, he's put children in our lives. We're okay if it doesn't happen, but we really want it to happen. Yeah, it's... And I, I say I was okay with it not happening, but deep down, I still had that thought. And, and as a woman, I still struggle with this sometimes because you get on Facebook and you see, oh, you're invited to my baby shower. Or, oh, I'm expecting again, or oh, and you want to be so happy for them, and I and I am, and I was, and and I'm like, man, you know, that's so great, you know. But at the same time, you can't help but feel like a knife in your heart, because you're like, no, well, why not me, you know? And you go and you smile, and you try to be happy for these people, but in the back of your mind, it's like, you know, you still have that in the pit of your stomach, like, why is this not? Why not me? What's wrong with me, God? Why am I not good enough? And it was it was tough, and the only thing that you know, during this whole time, we never stopped going to church. We never stopped praying. You know, I guess 
it's worked out for us to be as stubborn as we are. Because yeah. if we had been in the world or not raised in church or not known about our faith, had strong enough faith, it would have been real easy to blame God and just <laughs> stop. Yeah. And it's and, and and I I just we just we didn't we were just stubborn. We just kept on with the faith that if it, we, I guess he just gave us a piece that if it happened, it happened. If it didn't, it didn't. And, you know, my parents, like she said, were monumental in helping me because I would call them. I'd be like, you know, I mean, there were even people in our own families that were getting pregnant and having kids. You know, they weren't married. You know, they didn't need a child at all. And I'm just like, you, you know, I would call my parents. And I guess that was kind of my vent because they had been there. Uh, they tried for nine years and ended up... Uh, uh, having me um, but but you know they were there almost a decade of trying and a decade of you know just prayer and everything and procedures you know prayer procedures you know there was a lot done and so at this point in my life um, <coughs> I'm getting tired of the nights and weekends um, we got married in 2013 and I'm still working nights and weekends at this point and I got tired of it and so we went to the same place where we got married, and we were taking a vacation, and that entire week I spent looking for jobs uh, online, because it's 20, whatever it was back then, 2019. And so I just had a wild hair. I'm like, you know, what about pest control? You know, I said, I don't even want to work at a place that's open on the weekend. I don't, I don't even want to do it. So uh, I ended up getting a job with a small company in, in Houston. And uh, it was hard. It was a pay cut. It was uh, a big pay cut. It was a big pay cut. But what was so crazy, and, and I'll applaud Matt, because he has more, more, I guess, just strength and, and determination and, and fearlessness, because I would be scared. He went from being a butcher to pest control. Like, that's like night and day. Like, when was the time when you go to look for another job, you try to stay within your comfort zone. And try to, move, exactly. Yeah. It's like, oh, I'm just going to go to another company or this. But, you know, he, he really took a step out there for our family and said, you know, I want to make sure I'm not going to be working nights and weekends. Because it was kind of not a, a big issue in our marriage, but it was an issue. And I had told him, you know, I'm okay sitting at home by myself at night. But if God wants to give us a child, I want you there. So mm -hmm. I don't want to be a single mom. Feel like a single mom. Mm -hmm. And if, if he gets older, he's on baseball or whatever, and they have Saturday games. He he's gonna want his dad there. I want you to be able to be act a part in our family. And so I think another reason why, like I said, looking back now, maybe the reason why we weren't able to didn't get a child in that time frame was because of his hours. I don't know. Yeah. You know, maybe God was just waiting for things to fall into place. But and so that he was got that job. That was that was May of 2019 uh, when I when 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 I took that step and you know that job came with its own share of struggles with driving as much as I had to and I was not comfortable driving in Atlanta at all uh, I, I did it as little as possible but with this job I was down there down south of Atlanta probably sometimes three or four days a week yeah um, that you know but you know started out everything was you know great and. You know, just having the extra time, you know, nights and weekends was really nice. And um, this is this is around the time that 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 we uh, that we got that. The, no. It was later. 
but you have you have been working there for a couple of months, like three or four months or so. And my cousin, out of the blue, calls me and says, "Hey, I know someone who's pregnant. Would you be interested in adopting their baby?" And I was like, "Whoa!" Because I mean, it came out of nowhere. And at this point, like I said, we could kind of put the baby thing aside and was just living our lives and enjoying our marriage and and not really you know, not preventing, but not trying, just, you know, let it go. And so she's like, just talk to Matt, get back to me, let me know, you know, she's like, you don't tell me right now. She's very wishy-washy, you know, she might decide today uh, that she wants to keep it or she might go get an abortion tomorrow because, you know, right now that's where she's headed. She's talking about getting an abortion and me and my husband, you know, are trying to convince her and and her husband's, uh, her mother-in-law, um, or trying to convince her to no, let the baby live. We'll find no, let someone adopt the baby. And so we thought of you guys, and because all, all my family knew that we wanted a baby, and it just wasn't happening. After you've been married for so long, you don't have to tell people. They finally get the hint. Like, hmm, they're they're not. They don't have a child yet, and it's not my choice. You know. And the people that don't want children, are, they're more vocal about. Yeah. The, yeah. Like, oh, we're okay. You know, we don't, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because we never said we don't want children. Yeah. We just said it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Um, and so when she, you know, of course that night I was like, Hey, I have something I need to ask you. And we have something we need to talk about. And I remember Matt's eyes were like this big. <laughs> cause when I went, there's no, we never really had any serious talks like that. Cause there was never anything to address. And I was like, look, it's not set in stone. I just need a vague answer. Like if someone offered you the chance, do you, would you be interested in adoption? And you know, he pretty much immediately said, yeah, yes. And that's how I felt too. I mean, we knew nothing about this lady. We knew nothing about the child. Um, I, I guess at this point, she was probably three or four months pregnant. And from what we've been told, she had no prenatal care, no doctor visits, nothing. She just was pregnant and was just sitting there being pregnant, you know. Wow. Um, and so when we got back with my cousin and told her, like, yes, we would be interested in adopting, um, you know, I guess she took, you know, it work got back to her. We never talked to her directly. We talked through the middleman, my cousin and uh, her mother-in-law, and um, that was into it. We hadn't heard anything else. You know, we were just, you know, well, okay, that was a fun little spark of yeah, hope. Yeah, that was, that was the end, and so I don't know if we had gotten that phone call yet or not, but this and is... And she even told us, don't tell anyone, because, you know, yes. she was wishy-washers. We didn't tell, like, none of our parents. We are... We're we're getting really close to COVID at this point. And if that was the end of twenty nineteen. Um, that was we're at the end of twenty nineteen and we're getting close to COVID in, in April of twenty twenty. You officially lost your job. You found out I think in January or February that they were closing. Yeah, January twenty twenty. So my job at the time was in case management and basically what that is is if you got a workers comp if you got hurt at work we would send a nurse case, the, your company insurance would hire our company to send a case manager nurse to you with your appointments to make sure that you're getting healed up as fast as you can with your job, that you're getting the proper care, the proper medication, um, and it would just be, it would just benefit the employer to not have to get sued by the person that got injured. Um, so of course, when COVID happened and they are, you know, the, they're not allowing people like in, in there, the yeah. yeah. The doctor's office is kind of shut down, yeah. and they weren't allowing these nurses in there with their, with the, the the people that got injured. So we had no business, 
you know, they, they did away with my department. You know, we got uh, laid off. I was one of the, I guess not higher ups, but one of the last ones they let go because, you know, we had to finish up some loose ends, some cases that we already had there. So a lot of people got let go January, February, March. I technically got let go towards the end of March, early April. And they were getting rid of um, a lot of the office equipment. They were giving it away for free. So I had told Matt, I was like, hey, you know, Matt calls me a hoarder, but I'm not a hoarder. I just like free stuff. What's a good deal? Yeah. <laughs> and so there was like a bookshelf and some office chairs and <clears throat> stuff like that. And I had a little Ford Ranger and an Apollo, a Chevy Apollo at the time. Well, Matt drove the Ford Ranger down there to get the bookshelf and stuff. And then I put like some small stuff in my car, like a Falcon there or something like that, probably. And for whatever reason, you know, I worked down there for years from 2011 to 2020. I worked down there and I drove back and forth and I always went home the same way for the most part. And this time, for whatever reason, I went home a different way. Hmm. I don't know why. At the time, I didn't know why. Um, and I I did a boo-boo. I'll admit it. I was talking on the phone. Hands-free, granted, but I was talking on the phone, so I was distracted. I was calling my brother to see if he would be just at the house to help unload stuff so Matt didn't have to do it by himself because, you know, it was a lot of heavy stuff and everything. And I was driving. The road that I normally would take home has no red lights, so you kind of can zone out and just go straight. Well, I went home a different way, and this one has a lot of red lights. So I ran a red light and got hit, T-boned, right in the side. This dude was going 45, 50 miles. It had to be going fast. It crushed. Thank, thank God I was the only person in the car because if someone had been in the passenger seat, they would have got hurt because that whole side got caved in. And the paramedics came and everything, and they said, you know, at the time, this was COVID, April 2020, and I had just paid my car off in March. Okay. Just paid it off in March. Totaled it in April. And granted, I was still mad didn't know this because, I mean, you know how you try to smile and be happy and everything's fine, you know? I was still kind of pissed off at God about the whole kid, the not being able to have a kid thing. I'm just going to be honest with that. Then, here I am. I'm losing my job in nine years. I just paid off my car. It gets totaled. It's and I'm like, and then all the crap with COVID going on. My granny passed away in 2019, October 2019. So I just lost my grandma a couple of months back. My last grandparent. And so I'm just like, had a really bad couple of months. The world's shutting down. End yeah. time. Yeah. I'm just like, man, this is like, God, what are you doing to me? Like, I know you're not going to be more than I can handle, but I'm really close to that breaking point, I believe. And, um, you know, the paramedics told me, you know, hey, it's COVID. They got out, they felt only make sure there was like no broken bones poking out or anything like that. And they're like, it's up to you, but you know, we're not really trying to take people to the hospital because of COVID, you know, because there's so many sick people in there with COVID. You know, if you feel like you're okay, we don't advise taking you, but you know, that's up to you. So, you know, I got out, I walked around, of course I was sore, but you know, I wasn't bleeding, I wasn't cut up. So I'm like, you know, I'm fine. Of course, Matt, you know, it was just minutes away because we were coming from the same direction. So I called him, I was like, hey, I got an accident. Can you come pick me up? And actually, my mom called my aunt, and she came and got me because the truck was only a two-seater, and we had so much stuff piled in there. Your aunt beat me there. there. Was, I don't know how she did it. Yeah. She beat me there. Yeah, my aunt Wanda came to get me. She was my little rescuer, and she came from nowhere and came and got me. But um, by the time they got the record there and was getting it pulled up, she had came to get me, and uh, Matt came just to make sure I was okay. And 
So I decided not to go to the hospital, but I just, I just, that was the point where I was just like, God, what's going on? Like, I do not understand what you're doing to me. Like, what, you like, you just keep beating me up. But through it all, like, I don't, I mean, I'm probably complaining and cried a little bit to Matt about it, but I still try to just have the faith. Like, I tried to just, my mom and my granny were always the ones that just, no matter what, they just, they would always just say, just pray about it. Like, I could cut my leg off. Just pray about it. You're like, that was what they, they just always had that faith. Like, God was always the answer to anything that happened. So, I tried to have that same path and just be like, okay, God, I trust you. I don't know what's going on, but I trust you that it's going to be okay. Well, that was April 2020. That was April. So, Matt has just started a new job. Yeah. Career change completely. Mm-hmm. Uh, butcher to pest control. Yeah. Which really isn't that different when you really sit down and think about it. It's just you're no longer cutting things up. You're still killing stuff. But, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And then from there, you're losing your job. Trying to have a child. You're like, God, in my mind, I envision the nuclear family sitting around the dinner table, laughing, having a good time. And that none of that is happening. And now often I'm in a wreck. Mm-hmm. Lost my car. Lost my job. So... Um, let's take a pause there. It's been over 40 minutes. Then we'll come back in. We'll talk about getting the phone call, uh, talking about adoption, and we'll go from there. Cool. So I'm back here again with, uh, with Pam and Matt Murphy. So where, where we left off was you... Uh, Matt had changed careers uh, completely. Uh, then all of a sudden, you lose your job when COVID or up before COVID was hitting. Uh, just got into a wreck, hit a low point, getting angry at God, getting mad with God. Um, so let's take let's pick up from there, then go into the phone call, potential adoption. Mm-hmm. Well, luckily, when I got in the wreck, it totaled my car, and I was offered. This is important for later on, but I was offered. It was like a little over seven thousand dollars. And like I said, I had just paid the car off the month before. So that was just pure cash that, you know, to go towards finding another vehicle or whatever. You know, at that time I was losing my job. So I was like, well, you know, I don't need another car because, you know, we can't really afford it right now. So it kind of just went in the savings account and just kind of sat there. Um, and we didn't know what it was going to be used for, but there had a big purpose. And, and so she, I still remember where I was sitting when you called me. I was sitting in front of a house and you called and told me that you were going to, they were going to lay you off. And I just remember not really being concerned. Um, We, it just didn't concern me. I don't know if it was because, you know, there's a lot of people that were in the boat with us during, you know, during that time. 2020 was rough for everybody. But, you know, we, I, I just remember not being very concerned and. Um, can, you know, trusting God through that whole process, and so you had a peace. Yes, okay. yes, very, very, very much a peace about me. And then, you know, Pam, like she said earlier, got a phone call from her cousin about, uh, you know, if we would be interested in adopting. And immediately, I was like, you know, yeah, I, I, I really want to. Um, and like what what we have done because we. We, we wanted what was a closed adoption where we would have no contact. It was con- her request too. The yes, it was, it was her request um, that we would have no contact. Um, that 
that we would not see her, she would not see us. We would, so we set up an email after you got the phone call and told 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 our third party that was like our middleman. Yeah, our middleman that you know if if you have any questions for us, if there's anything, just. You know. I was trying to put myself in her shoes. If if I was having a child and looking for adoptive parents, I would want to ask questions. So I wanted to give her the opportunity to if there was anything she wanted to ask us to have that option to do that but months weeks went by and she never sent anything to the email yeah we we had never gotten anything and so at this point we've kind of forgotten about this well not not really (laughs) forgotten but but due to the fact that they told us that she was on wishy-washy she's she's wishy-washy she's on drugs she's she's on drugs um we knew at that point she had four children four children being raised by the father's grandma the father's grandmother or the father's mom so yes. the children's grandmother yes and so you know so she already had four children so that she doesn't have contact with we we really you know just kind of okay you know it was it was just another it was just another okay that wasn't happens, meant that to happen yeah um and so we're we're into september at this point and I was off, like I, I was, I was looking for work, but I wasn't going to rush into like the first job. You know, it, it wasn't. Luckily, we had enough in savings where I didn't have to go out and get a job tomorrow. You know, so from the from April to September, I was putting applications out there. Had a couple of interviews, but nothing kind of really stuck. Um, and every September, we uh, his parents had a timeshare they let us use at Helen, where we got married. And so um, this time, you know, um, we we uh, would go every year, every September. So the middle of September. And it was two weeks before that trip, where um, our middle man person called us and said, "Hey, she's wanting your attorney's number." And, like, we're looking at looking at each other. We never got an attorney because we didn't know if it was going to happen or not. You know, attorneys aren't This was on Saturday, cheap. too. Yeah. Attorneys aren't cheap, and I didn't have a job. Matt was working, you know, and, he, and like, we didn't want to go to an attorney if we weren't going to get the baby. And so we didn't do that. And so, like Matt said, it was a Saturday, and a lot of offices are closed. But we didn't want to lose this opportunity. And, thankfully, Matt knew a friend, a long-lost friend that he hadn't, uh, hadn't talked to in a while. That was a personal injury attorney that he, he reached out to. I, I didn't know what kind of attorney he was. I knew he was an attorney, and I I sent him a message through Facebook. That's how close we were. Um, I didn't even have his number. And I'm like, hey, can I can I just use your name? You know, I'll cash app you whatever amount of money you want. Can I just use your name? This is, you know, we're dealing with an adoption. Do you do adoptions? He said, yeah, my partner handles all our family law. I said, okay. I said, well, can I, you know, can I get... We just need a number at this point. I just, I just need your phone number in order. case this lady wants to contact you. <coughs> and so we got he number. said yes, and we got his number, and we sent it. Another couple weeks go by, and we don't hear anything. I go on my trip. Um, I did not go because I knew what was going to happen. Or, or, the, or what the potential was. And so I did not go which made my parents very nervous they they kept asking why aren't you going why aren't you going oh i'm trying to save my vacation time yeah but why aren't you going and we didn't want to tell anybody because you know we waited 
seven years up to this point um, with with no child, and we didn't we didn't want to get any hopes up. And so I finally broke down and told him, I said, look, there's a possibility we could be adopting a baby. That's why I'm staying here. I want to save my vacation time uh, for, you know, if the baby... Court dates you, or anything you know, like Court that. dates, if we, you know, if, if we are able to adopt, you know, I want that to be where my vacation time goes. So um, we, we still, a couple weeks go by, we don't hear anything from anybody. Well, I, 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 when, we were, when me and my mom and my grandma actually went... No, she has passed away. <coughs> me and my mom... And Paisley went to uh, September, went to the trip in Helen. And I had got a call that week for a job. And I accepted the job and got hired. And I was going to start the next week. Mm-hmm. So, if, you, if you're following us, hopefully we're not doing too bad of a job of confusing you guys. I got a job and I worked that job for a week. And I'm having to tell, and then, and then, she, uh, the biological mother, our lawyer never heard anything from her. Never. You know, he said that the, she never called him or anything. From if, if I'm remembering correctly, October second, she go, or third. Six a.m. Yeah, she goes into the hospital October third, and she's calling our lawyer. Hey, I'm at the hospital. You need to come here. I'm ready to sign my rights over. And our lawyer, you know, was telling us, like, I didn't do any of the paperwork because I never heard from the lady. Because we told him, hey, it may or may not happen. We don't know anything. I I remember uh, I was at work and uh, Pam calls me and she's like, okay, you know, you know, we're going to use the attorneys. um, And they were contacting with you and they said, okay, you know, well, we require a retainer fee. And... I was like, okay, I mean, we've got to do what we got to do. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> this is where we knew it was God. This, this is the, our God. The, the retainer fee was $7,000. Oh, wow. The all, exact, almost, almost exact the exact amount. amount that she got back from Toyota really? Car. Wow. And so. So we were able to send that right away. We, and we they were able to send that working. and they could start working. Without us having to be like borrowing money. I mean, we could have mm-hmm. got money from friends and family. Mm-hmm. We could have got a loan. But it was just a blessing that we could send them that money and they started right away. Because yeah. we're on such a time crunch. Yeah. I'm not sure exactly the law, but, you know, the biological mother has so much time to change her mind. And, mm-hmm. you know, they need to get paperwork signed and all this stuff. And I'm sure it was a difficult choice for her. And we just didn't want it to be drug out any longer than it had to be because of us on our end. Yeah. And so it was just such a blessing that we had that money there and we were able to send it right then. And so basically, from there, you know that that was like he was born April, uh, October fourth, and so we're at this point, we're probably October first because um, at this point she went into labor about yes, the second or third. We had we we had gotten a picture. Um, we did not know up to this point, male female. We didn't know anything. And the reason she why we didn't, didn't know, know that, either. Yeah. The reason why we didn't know is because she didn't know because, like I said, this poor lady, you know, she's had some battles and demons in her life where, you know, she was on drugs. And so I guess she was worried, you know, that uh, CPS was going to get involved and all yeah. this because yeah. if she went for, fault, you know, for prenatal care, you know, and they felt drugs in her system, you know, that she just, she didn't go. She didn't take prenatal vitamins. She didn't do any classes. She didn't do any ultrasounds or anything. So until this baby was born, you know, she she didn't know anything. And and that was actually something that 
our my cousin who was our middleman told me she's like you know there is a possibility because she was older she was 38 you know and, and if anyone that knows anything about being pregnant if you don't have kids when you're in your 20s after like 25 i think it's considered high-risk pregnancy because the older you are the higher chance that your child could have something wrong with them or be born with problems um from a woman's standpoint men can be 90 years old having kids and they come, you know it doesn't the sperm doesn't matter but from the woman's egg point of view the older the egg the more problems the child can have so anyways with her being 38 the drugs you know no prenatal care my cousin said look pam i just want to put this out there if the baby's born with any issues or problems would you and matt still be interested in adopting you know down syndrome or any kind of birth defects or anything like that and me and matt you know we don't know anything about parenthood or anything about those conditions, but we said, yeah, we, we, we want the child, regardless, boy, girl, problems. You know, we really feel like, especially after knowing the $7,000 a lot, we feel like God wants us to have this child mm -hmm. because he's pretty much laid everything out mm -hmm. in the path, in the timeline. He put this baby in our lives, in our laps. We feel like we should be its parents. So we, her signing her rights away, involved her signing a piece of paper that had to be witnessed um, and it had to be notarized so we had a friend who's a notary and um, we went to the hospital one night and not to get to like I don't want to make this be five hours long but there's so many little details that little steps in the way that I guess Satan put there was just trying to block this from happening because like Matt said, there had to be, we were told by the hospital that the baby was born October 5th. So our lawyer drew up all the paperwork for October 5th. But when he got to the hospital, the baby was actually born October 4th at like 10:59 or something like that. So he had to redo. So the paperwork that she signed turned out to be voided because it didn't have the right date of birth. So that was a roadblock. And then like Matt said, we had to get this, uh, notarized when we get down there with our notary and so many people wanted this for us so bad that people were dropping their lives like mm -hmm. we called our friend that was notary he was like hey can I'll you go there. can yeah. you go down at you know can you drop what you're doing and go with us to the hospital because it has to be done tonight it has to be done right now and she yes you know angela our friend angela burns you know shout out to her because she she's like yes i will go so we drive down to north side and, Forsyth, and, Forsyth, and we get there and we assumed the nurse or our notary could be the witness. When we get there, they're like, no, you have to have a witness. Well, I don't know anybody that's local to that area. And I remembered one of my friends, my good friend, Megan, her sister lived there. I didn't know her sister that well. But I called my friend. I said, hey, I know this is crazy. And it was late at night. It was. I was like, hey, can your sister come be a witness for us? This is what's going on. She didn't know anything about it because we hadn't told anybody about the baby because it was just so whirlwind for us. Pretty much had 72 hours notice that we were getting this kid for sure. And like all this stuff is happening, we're trying to get paperwork, we're trying to get it signed. The biological mom didn't have an ID, so it ended up the notary, after we got my friend's sister to drive there, they ended up not being able to do it after all. Um, so that was another roadblock, and we talked to our lawyers, and thankfully the next day he got his notary to go there and got it signed. But and at that point, I didn't know, because I'm like, she doesn't have an ID. He's like, I don't care. I'm like, okay, you're the lawyer. So if yeah. he's wrong, I don't, I, I you're, don't know. You're, you're the legal side of this. Yeah, so. <clears throat> but after all that happened, and thankfully the hospital was kind of like, 
not trying to find issues, but pretty much trying to keep CPS from coming to take the child because a poor, a poor support thing was born with meth in the system. Thankfully, a small amount, you know, wasn't any life-threatening. That was the biggest blessing and miracle is this child was born healthy. I mean, he was eight pounds, like 15 ounces. He that was, you know, didn't have any pro medical issues or problems besides having a, a meth in the system. And with no prenatal care, you know, all this stuff. Um, but anyways, the, the CPS was wanting to get involved. And she was telling CPS, hey, I have a couple that's adopting the child. Our lawyer was working with CPS. The hospital, like, don't, we didn't want him to have to go to foster care. Mm -hmm. Like, we wanted him to come straight to us. Like, we don't know. I'm not saying the foster care is a bad system or anything, but you never know who's going to, mm -hmm. who that baby's going to go mm -hmm. to. And we didn't want him to get lost in the system. So we were just like, you know, everyone was working together. The hospital kept him for four days while we were trying to get all this paperwork and stuff done so that he could come to us. And and one thing that uh, I, a lot of people don't don't get to adopt a baby and take them home from the hospital. A newborn baby. And yeah. We got a, a four-day-old baby. Um, we got to take him home and from the hospital. Well, one other thing that had to happen was... The hospital could not hand the baby to us. The baby had to be handed released to, to release to our attorney. And then our attorney gives the baby to us. So he was placed in us under defects care because of prenatal drug use. Um, that, was, that was what allowed us to keep him. Um, it was a very, very difficult process uh, because the mother chose not to name him. So his name was Baby Boy uh, on his birth certificate. He didn't have a name. Um, I'll not say the last name, uh, but he did not have a name. So his name was Baby Boy, and he had no Social Security number because you can't have that until you have a name. So I'm trying to go through, because she just started a new job. A week. So and a, and I'm, it's a blessing that the, the I, I mean, imagine being at a job for a week and having to say, hey, guess what? Uh, didn't mention this in my interview, but I'm adopting a baby this weekend, you know? So <laughs> um, I'm trying to call, like, Peach Care and see what we can get him on. Um, we certainly didn't mind paying for every doctor's appointment out of pocket, but it was something that, Financially uh, was rough. Financially was rough at that time. Because if you don't know anything about newborn and babies, they have to go like right like a day or two after the hospital, then they have mm -hmm. to go for follow-ups, and then every couple months. And and again, this is COVID. Yeah. Defects offices aren't even open. So we had no help with this. So I'm trying to call, and they're like, okay, what's your baby's name? Well, let me explain this to you. Yeah, he doesn't yeah. have a name. <laughs> what's his social? He doesn't have one of those either. Uh, and so it was extremely difficult and hard. I mean, I remember having my parents call and just everybody trying it was something. But but we ended up just being like, okay. And he couldn't know. get on my insurance because they told me, like, you know, um, like, you have, like, 30 days to, to get him on. But he has to be officially adopted. He wasn't officially ours. He was in no, our care. He was in our care. But he was not adopted. So... So we had to just pay it. We just made it work. We just had yeah, to find We just, we just made it work. You know, we just, we found the money, and, and another blessing was I had an HSA card. She never used it. I never used it, because they got me a matter healthy. We don't have any prescription medications, but my company put so much money on there, 
and I just kind of held on to this card. And even though I had been laid off, still money was on that card. It was still mine. And so I was like, well, let me just see how much is on there. And we had a good amount on there that covered so. I mean, we had, it covered like a, a couple of the shots, and then we started having paying out of pocket. But it helped a lot. Yeah. And another thing is, we were able whatever the Medicaid office was, we couldn't get any help with that. But WIC was awesome. Wick was incredible. Because we told Wick, we explained the situation, and we were able to get um, formula for him. Um, so that helped out, you know, because everyone knows formula is expensive. Mm -hmm. So that helped out. We were able to get help with that, but we were paying out of pocket for all his medicals. And thank God he was a healthy baby. And so it was just his shots, but that was expensive. So this is where I kind of took over more than you, was the lawyer's... We're, we're contacting me a lot, Ma mainly because I drive around all day, so I can take phone calls. So, so the first process in adoption, she, she, she signed her rights over, and we're up. We were trying to do everything by the book, because this was not our child. At that point. At, at, and at he, this and point. In our hearts he was, but legally he Legally he's our not child. ours, so we're doing everything. You know, one night... Uh, your cousin text you and screenshotted a post online um, that the biological father was claiming to be the biological claiming father. to be the biological father. She told the biological mother told our middle person that she and our lawyers that she didn't know who the dad was. Well, like three days later, that story changed. Yeah, she was. And she so was. he says he's taking immediate action against this. Um, and he was searching for an attorney online that would take weekly payments. So, automatically you just get nervous. And um, then another step in the adoption process, this whole time, um, you know, we're just going through day by day, just kind of just trying to relax as knowing. much as we can. We had to take it day by day because, I mean, and, and I know a lot of you are thinking, like, the dad should have the child, that's his if it's his biological son, but you have to understand it was her drug dealer. They were living in an abandoned trailer and he kicked her out when he found out she was pregnant. So I'm not saying that he didn't deserve to raise his son, but it didn't sound like he was in the shape to raise it either. And the fact that she was reaching out, wanted us to adopt and yeah. saying she didn't know who the father was, let me know what kind of person he was. So that she didn't want him to have a part in his raising. So, so, so like we're saying, we had to, you know, they had to rewrite a bunch of the paperwork because of the birth dates and everything, and uh, the, the the mom ended up changing her mind, and she wanted to get her rights back, and the mother has so much time to do that. She got to our attorney's office like an hour late. From the time frame. Wow. If she had been there an hour sooner, she could have gotten her rights back. But, from... Because, like I said, my cousin's mother-in-law was really close to her. It was really close to this lady. Knew her for years and everything. It comes to find out the biological dad, her drug dealer, boyfriend, whatever you want to call him, was beating her and making her go back to try to get, like, to take the rights back. She didn't really want yeah. it back. He was yeah. forcing her to do that. Yeah. You know, and she, later on, when she finally, you know, I don't know if she got cleaned up or whatever, but when, months later when she met back up with the mother-in-law, because they had kind of separated a little bit due to her drug uh, usage and the turmoil and all that, 
she thanked her and said, you know, I'm I'm glad he is where he is, you know. The, but and it, it told you know that she was being forced to do all this know, stuff. Another step in the process, and this sounds old school, is just the way they do it. They have to run an ad in the paper um, for thirty days. If there's any potential father that can come forward, they have until thirty days after the last day that that's posted. So like sixty days. It's the most nerve-wracking sixty days I've ever had because. I'm just nervous. I, I'm just thinking. I'm like, I know somebody's gonna come up, and I know it's gonna be the dad. And our attorney did tell us that, you know, uh, there's like hours within that. Yeah, and well, the system's set up to favor the biological parent. So he's like, he's like, I don't want to get your expectations up. So at this time, we have the baby in our house. We're still thinking we might not get to keep this child. Yeah, we couldn't look there forward was a, to anything. It was, it was roller coasters every day. It was just. We didn't know what was going to happen. And so, you know, we, we, we found pretty much after that, after that 60-day period's up, pretty much the father loses their rights. That, that, that you, 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 you lost your opportunity. So after that, we were good to go. Um, and then we were just waiting on a court date. And because of COVID, once again... Everything was backed uh, up. Everything was backed up, and it took forever to get a court date. Seemed like forever. But it was June. It was in June. Ten. He was six months old. Yeah. And we were able to do it uh, from home. Yeah. We did it oh, wow. over Zoom. Um, we had the video. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we still have the video. <laughs> we recorded it. Um, and it's you know about the only thing that ever really happened was. The first two weeks we had him, from like 9 p.m. to 2 a.m., he would just scream. We did. All the little doctor changes. We had no idea what was going on, and our doctor told us that's probably when his mother used. Um, so he was craving. He was he was craving drugs. Going through withdrawals a little bit. Um, but it's it's that's only about two weeks. Yeah, that only lasted a couple of weeks. This whole this whole process, this whole insane process is something that we looked back on and all the bad things that I was so mad at God for allowing to happen to me equaled up to me this moment of like getting this child in my life yeah like the thing that we have been praying for and so many people that we know have been praying for for seven years you know yeah and, and it's just one of the things it reminds me now to always think about when God when God's allowing something bad to happen to you in our eyes we see it as God, you know, you're you're punishing me. Why are you allowing this to happen to me? But we have to remember the big picture. There's a reason why he's allowing it to happen to you. Wait, later on, it's gonna help you, or it's gonna help you to help someone else, or whatever it may be. We have, and that's the biggest testimony I have, is to trust God. Wait and trust God, because there's a reason why he's allowing it to happen. And now he's almost three years old. He'll be three in October. And he's so a happy, when was the official boy. adoption date? Uh, June twenty fourth. June twenty fourth, twenty twenty one. Twenty twenty one. Okay. It was a week of vacation Bible school. We got a cookie cake that said officially a Murphy, and brought it here for the snack time of yeah. vacation Bible school wow. to celebrate. So that's our gotcha date. Yeah. I do have a question. What was the preacher that prayed over y'all? Ronnie Coley. Ronnie Coley said he didn't want to. What's that? The, the, there's a funny thing about that. Um, 
This past revival. This past revival that your dad helped in. Mm-hmm. Ronnie Coley's church was here singing one night, and we got to tell him. That's what I was going to ask. Did you have a conversation yes. with him? Yes. Did he, say, did, he, did he say, I saw that kid? Mm-hmm. Or, um, I, I, you know, I talked with him. You know, of course, I said something during church and after church. I, was, I, I walked over there to him, and I'm like, you know, I kind of explained a little more of the story to him. And I said, I fully believe that that's the little boy you saw that night. That's, that's what you saw. And, you know, the whole story is just a testament of God's faithfulness yeah. to, his, to, his, to his people, to his children. You, you, can't, you, you, you can't give up. It's, we want things done on our time, but it's not about our time. It's about God's time. Yeah. What's the song say? He's four days late, but he's still on time. It's, it's, it's not about our timing. It's not about the way that we want it. It's about the way that God knows it needs to happen. Yeah. And, and it happened for us at a time in our lives when we were much more ready to have a child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, looking back, I mean, every, I feel like it all happened in, in, in a good time. But, you know, as I was going through it, I just remember I was just so impatient, so angry, mm-hmm. and so, like, not understanding and now it's kind of came full circle i look back and i said okay god i'm sorry i doubted you i'm sorry that you know i didn't understand why you allowed this stuff to happen but it makes sense now looking back well while we're here what advice would you give somebody that's in that waiting period in their life because you got the waiting period where you're you know lord knows what your desires are Mm -hmm. lord knows what blessings you want and then you have the fulfillment period. So y'all, y'all with the fulfillment period, I mean, you had some rocky, mm-hmm. you know, nervous times. So what advice would you give somebody in that waiting period? For me, it's just to keep praying, keep holding on. Like the world's going to tell you, I mean, kind of like Job, you know, the world's going to tell you, curse God and give up. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we had plenty of times we could have done that. Mm-hmm. And the world would be like, you were justified in that. But... The way we were raised, the way we felt in our heart with our personal relationship with God, individually and as a couple, you know, it just wasn't an option. Like Matt said, we've always been with God since we, you know, even when before we got saved, I know they say, they say you know, God's first prayer that he hears from you is when you pray or salvation or whatever. But even when I was a kid, I've always felt God's presence in my life mm-hmm. and, and blessings on me, you know. And it's just one of those things you cannot... Let the world tell you to give up because it will tell you to give up. And you will be justified in giving up. But if you could just hold on and look for the small things, God's always been there. God loves mm-hmm. you, you know, and he wants the best for you. And and it's so hard when you're going through something to believe that because you're like, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. And it's so hard when you're going through it to 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 feel that. But it's true. It's, it's not cliche. It's true. Like, it will get better. God does love you. He wants the best for you. You just have to wait and hold on and pray and have faith. And even if it's your, like, because sometimes I felt like we were just going through the moments of, like, let's just keep going to church. Let's just keep praying. Let's mm-hmm. just keep doing it. Because we didn't know what else to do. Yeah. You know? I mean, what are we going to, I mean, we, had, we didn't know what else to do. That's all we knew to do. And so we just held on to doing what we thought was right and what we felt in our heart was right. And in the end, you know, God rewarded us, I believe, for being obedient and being faithful. And I'm not saying because you don't get what, you know, I've heard people say too, God says no just as much as he says yes to your prayers. 
So I'm not saying that if God says no to your prayer that you're not faithful, you're not obedient. We just have to remember it's in his time. And if something doesn't happen in our time frame or if it doesn't happen at all, there's a reason. You may not, you may not ever know what that reason is, but there is a reason. Yeah. And it doesn't mean he doesn't love you. It doesn't mean that he doesn't want the best for you. It's just that he sees the big picture of your life. And he knows that what you're wanting or needing or what you think you want or need, he knows you really don't need it. Mm -hmm. <coughs> I think if I had one piece of advice, and this goes through many things in life, worship in the wedding. I, worship during that, during that waiting period, during that trial period, during that... That, that period where you want to give up. You, 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 know, you, you know, you want to give up. During that period when, like I know with your dad with, with cancer, there were a lot of times that you go for a CT scan and we wait for a week. Worship during that period. Worship in the waiting. Um, that's, that's, that's probably the biggest advice I can give. When it's hard, you, 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 know, you know, we sing songs. You know, the God on the mountain is still the God of the valley. Do, do, do we... Do we but when we're put to the fire, mm -hmm. can we sing it? Yeah. Can we? Can we? Can we say it? When? When? You know. You know. You're in the valley. Yes. <laughs> when you're actually in the valley of your life, and it's not just words on a page, can you mm -hmm. actually sing that song? Can you actually still believe that 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 the God on the mountain is the God in the valley? Because God never changes. God, God, God has never changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We're, we're the ones that our faith wavers and our faith changes. He's not. So if I could give anybody any advice, whatever situation that you're going through, just, just worship. That's, that's, that's all I can say is just, just, just worship God during that waiting period, during that trial. Um, and then, of course, uh, a lot of times... I think we're really quick to pray for God to help us with something. But when we get the resolution, how quick are we to thank Him for it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. And as a woman, if there's any other women out there listening that's struggling with infertility, you know, uh, there's a Facebook page called Waiting for Baby Bird. It's ran by a lady named Alicia. And she is a Christian. And she, I believe has been married ten, between 10 to 12 years, and they're still waiting, uh, still trying for their first child and still believing and still praying. And a lot of her posts and a lot of her encouragement and other women that um, are a part of that page helped me get through some hard times because it made you feel like you're not alone. Because there are so many women who can just pop out kids left and right that sometimes you feel like you're alone. Because there's no one in my family that had infertility problems, you know, all of my friends didn't at the time. I knew a few couples that were trying, um, that still, you know, didn't have children. So I, I didn't feel completely alone, but it is a very lonely process sometimes. I mean, and there were even sometimes I didn't want to talk to Matt about it because I was trying to be strong for him and I didn't want him to know how, how, how much I was hurting. Mm -hmm. So I kind of took that pain personally and kept it inside and didn't share it with my husband because I wanted him to be, because we had had the conversation like, we're okay if it doesn't happen, but deep down, I still wanted a child, and I'm sure he still did too, but to each other, we were trying to be strong and, and be strong in our marriage, and, and so I just want to encourage women out there, you know, there there is other women out there. You're not alone. You know, it is a very sad time in your life, 
and a lot of questioning God and 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 it can be a very dark time but it doesn't have to be you know there is help there are people that love you and can reach that will talk to you and just just look for the light you know there's some there's 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 things out there that can help you and stay encouraged and, and having a positive attitude the time's going to pass regardless why be miserable you know try try to be positive yeah. try to find something to keep your mind off of it and and there are in the adoption process our story is not like you know a lot of people have asked us um how did your adoption you know how did you start the process did you go to a uh you know a certain center or you know how did it happen what adoption agency did you use and so our story is so different than other people's stories might be because it kind of fell in our lap we were approached about it but i will say you know there are children out there that need loving homes and it is a, just from our experience we the snags and things we went into it is not an easy road it is not an easy process but do not let that scare you away so many people are just you know, they say they don't want to try adoption because it's hard. It is hard. And I still struggle with, you know, my son's only two years old right now. One day he's going to come to me and, and we're going to always tell him, we're not going to keep it a secret from him. We're always going to let him know how he came to our family a different way. But we're going to keep the details until he's older, until he can understand. And one day he is going to know that I'm not his biological mom. And one day he's going to know he has half siblings out there. And, you know, he's going to have all these questions. And I pray every day for God to help me know what to say and how to handle that. I, I, I still, every day I pray that because I know it's going to be years down the road, but I don't want him to not ever feel like he's not wanted or loved from us. And so if you guys need something to pray about, pray for us that we can make this little boy realize that he is our son. But also, if he wants to meet his biological parents one day or his biological siblings, I don't want to hold that from him. I want to handle the situation where it won't harm him. Whatever is in the best interest of him is how I want to handle it. And as his mom, you want to protect him and you want to... I mean, it would be real easy to be like, I don't. I want to keep that world away from him. I don't want him to know anything about that. I want to keep him safe and sheltered and only tell him that, you know, what he needs to know. But that's not fair to him. And secrets you know, will come out. What you know, what's done in the darkness will come to light. I don't want to keep anything from him and then when he's twenty years old, finds out he's adopted and he resents us for it. So you guys just pray that we have the right words and and, and, and we will seek, you know, when he's older if he wants to do kind of family counseling or, you know, whatever. There's lots of um help out there on how to handle this situation. I just want to do what's right by my son and, you know, raise him the best of his ability. Um well, if if God's brought you this far, yeah, exactly. That's why I, we're just taking it. We're still just taking he'll, it he'll take day by day. Away, yeah. And what was the name of the Facebook page? Um, waiting for Baby Bird. Okay. Yeah, it's very. It's a. It's a. It's ran by a lady named Alicia. She's a real sweet Christian lady, and um, she she just has really encouraging posts. And like I said, she's been. I I kind of fell off of it since you know I. I'm not, you know, I don't yeah, follow it as much. I, I still follow her, but I don't follow yeah. it as closely. So, I mean, things might change, but I know she's still running it. Yeah. And the last thing I'll say, you know, unless you have any more questions, is I had always, you know, here at this church, we don't have a piano player. And I had always told God, like, because we have kids, and there, there's people here that are always like, well, put your kids in lessons, and no one's, like, took the opportunity, like, to do that. Mm -hmm. So I told God, like, if you give us a child, I will put them in lessons. Like, I won't force them to do it, but if, if they want to play, I'll 
I'll put pay for them to be in lessons. I'll push, you know, Matt's musical anyway. So I always knew that that would be something they would bond over. You know, so from the day that we brought him home at four days old, we've had music playing. We've in, in, introduced him to things. And I, I have a video I can show you later on, but I swear to you, this little boy is two years old. And he has a little piano at home, and he is already playing on melody. Mm -hmm. You can call me crazy. I know his mom, and I'm proud of him. So I'm already going to be bragging on him. But this little boy already has musical talent. Mm -hmm. And that's just another blessing. Like, I know that when he's older... And we put him in lessons, you know, the next three or four years, you know, uh, when he's five or six, you know, that he's going to be awesome at it. Because I already feel like God put this child in our lives for a reason. And I'm going to uphold my promise to God and yeah. put him in piano lessons. And, you know, I hope that he takes to it and that he wants to play for the church. And hopefully he'll stay in too. And when I'm dead and gone, he'll have that uh, connection with God. He'll be staying in a play in for the Lord and you know, whatever else his relationship grows with the Lord, that's between him and God. But I just know that we want to do our best to raise him the way we were raised in church, knowing who the Lord is, knowing who Jesus is, knowing, you know, that church is not an option, that you need to be in church. And I pray one day that he gets saved, you know, and, and hopefully, you know, we've raised him right, that he stays on that right path. And like you said, you know, when it comes time to later down the road, if he wants to, be involved with some of his biological family that he can be a light to them you know if they're if they're well hopefully by then the lord has intervened and i will say this i said i don't know if matt even knows this but i felt like i needed to do something for his biological mom woman to woman like you gave me yeah. this greatest gift yeah. and i just felt so like how can i ever repay you i mean there's nothing i could do and so i reached out to um my cousin and found out where she was staying and sent her a Bible and sent her um, a bracelet and uh, one other thing, I can't remember what it was. I sent her two or three little gifts just saying how thankful we were yeah. and, you know, we're praying for you and we hope that you can get your life straightened out, you know, get off the drugs, get clean so that one day later on, if he does want to have a connection or a relationship with his biological mother, that she will be the best version of herself. Well, that still, I'll feel okay. She'll with, still be around. Exactly. Yeah. I'll feel, I won't have to worry like, oh man, is she going to get him on drugs? Is she going to, you know, I want her to know the Lord and, and, and be able to have another person in his life that loves him. Yeah. You know, I don't want to keep that love away from him, but I don't want them to be a bad influence on him yeah. or hurt him in any way. Um, so I do pray for her that she can get her life straightened out. And, and, you know, I'm so thankful. She gave me, besides my salvation, the greatest gift of my life. Like, I have no words to how much I can say thank you. Yeah. So, uh, I guess you kind of touched on my next question. Uh, if you could say anything to the biological mother, uh, what would you say besides the, the thank you part? Just, you know, we're praying for you. Um, we are so thankful that you thought about what's best for your child, that you allowed him to be born, that you allowed us to be his parents, to raise him. You know, you made a, a amazing decision, you know. A lot of, a lot, and, and he will know, you know, we will tell him you know, what little bit we do about you, that your mom did love you. She loved you enough 
to let you live and to, and to know that she couldn't provide for you and give you everything that she wanted you to have. And um, I just hope that she, you know, gets off the drugs and, and gets healthy mentally and physically and and doesn't have any regrets and, and, and knows that we're doing, our, I mean, we're not perfect parents by any means, no. but we will never stop trying to give that little boy the world. Yeah. And, you know, that she made the right decision. You know, don't, no ever doubt that she didn't make the right decision because she made the right decision. Because um, she, you know, and I hope that, because she is in and out of her, his half-siblings, her other children's lives, I hope that she gets to the point where she can go be a more full-time mom to them. Mm -hmm. uh, the children that do know her as mother, that do call her mother, I pray that she can get her mind and, and life where it needs to be straightened out to where she can be that full-time mom because it's a hard job being a mom but it's the biggest blessing in my life and i hope that she knows how thankful we are she may never know who i am i may never meet her yeah. and i'm okay with that but i want her to know that she she has given us a gift that no one else could ever give us yeah what about you matt yeah, I mean, it's just like what she says, you know. Uh, you you gave your child a right to life, and there's so many people now that want to. Uh, I'm just, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna get an abortion. I'm just, I'm just gonna do that, and you know that's gonna be easier. Um, because I can imagine being in her shoes, thinking, you know, I've got a child out there, you know, that she has no relationship with, and no connection with. I'm, I'm just thankful that, you know, enough people, you know... Enough Christian loving not, people in her life to not, not help just, direct her. Not just her, but, you know, people in your family, you know, trusted us enough and thought enough of us to offer this yeah. to, to, to us. And, you know, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm thankful. Mm-hmm. So uh, I guess my last question would be if you could have a little time capsule here for Noah. He's two? Two. Now. So what would you like for him to hear you say, say he's 16, 18, 20, 30, 40, you know? <laughs> what, would you, what would you like to tell him now kind of preserve it through time? You know, uh, it's kind of like what, what Pam said. There's, there's, there's always this fear that, you know, no, I'm not your biological father. Um, uh, but, you know, I love you and, you know, you may have grew in someone else's belly. You may have biologically been formed. You know, we didn't, we didn't have our DNA put into you, but I firmly believe that God created you for us. Yeah. I believe that we were meant to be your parents, that God knew way before he even thought about creating you, that you were made for us. And, sorry. Your I may not be your biological mom, you didn't come out of my body, but you grew in my heart. And I will love you for the rest of my life, every day. If you ever mess up, because I know you will, we all do. I want you to know that you can never mess up any form, but I will not love you through it. I'm going to tell you when you're wrong.
because that's what moms are supposed to do. But I will always love you, no matter what. And and you know, I really hope and pray. You know, I have a few friends. Her, well, a friend whose husband's adopted, and I have a friend that was adopted, and I talked to them about like how should we handle this. Like, I don't want him to grow up resenting us or you know, be angry at us, you know, because I mean, as a teenage kid, you know, you go through the stage of rebelling against your parents and, 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 you know, having those issues. So imagine even more if you're adopted, like you already have those, you know, so I just don't ever want him to feel like, I don't ever want him to feel, he doesn't feel like he's adopted. He really doesn't. It does, like I have to remind myself sometimes that I didn't give birth to him because I've had him, he feels like my child. He, he literally feels like he came out of me sometimes because I just am so connected to him. He acts just like me. He acts just like his dad. Like people have told us that he looks just like his dad, like Matt, you know, like people think he's our child because he, he is ours. Like he feels like he's our kid. And I just want him to know more than anything that he's loved. Yeah. Like he's always, we've always wanted him and he's from even before he was born, like we, he was made for us and I just, you know, I hope I get to live a long time and see him grow up and get and find the love of his life and, you know, see him get saved, like I said before, and get to see my grandchildren and, you know, I have, you know, I have all these dreams and hopes for him that I hope I get to see and if I don't get to see it, I just want him to know, regardless, you know, if, if, I don't know what heaven's going to be like, but if I get to look down on you and be your guardian angel or anything like that, you'll have the best angel because <laughs> I will always be with you. And you have completed our lives in a way that I never thought could be possible. I never knew that I could love someone as much as I love you. I mean, I love my nieces and nephews. I love Matt. I love my mom, but that little boy, from the time I first laid eyes on him, has uh, stolen my heart completely. And uh, he, I just love him so much. That's all I can say is how much I love him. And um, I mean, words can't express. He's been such the biggest blessing in our lives. You know, he's so sassy now. Like, even when we're getting on to him sometimes, you know, he does something wrong and we have to try to discipline him. Maybe that will just start laughing because of how cute he is. Yeah. And, you know, it's so hard. Like, it, like, we have a birthday party to go to tomorrow. My mom's like, I want to get him a present so he doesn't feel left out. I'm like, no, Bob, I want, it's not his birthday. Like, I tried so hard not to raise a spoiled child, but he's yeah. so spoiled and so loved. Yeah. So many people just love him. And that's, that's the main thing. I, I hope and pray that, you know, with all the anxiety and depression and, and, and evil that's out there in the world, that it's going to come at him just like it does to all of us. I pray that there's so many people and so much love yeah. that is wrapped around him that it will fight off all that. And, that, you know, when he has those dark thoughts and those dark moments, that the love that we have, that we're trying so hard to show him will be bigger. Yeah. And I'm just thankful that we had this opportunity because I agree with you, you know, we don't, none of us is guaranteed tomorrow. And if Lord forbid something that has happened to me and Matt, I want him to know that he is a bless, the biggest blessing in our lives right now. Like he is, you know, our whole world. And, you know, I know, and the thing is, you know, we didn't need nine, you know, most people get nine months to be prepared for this child and, and, and I didn't have all the hormones in my body that the moms have after they have their baby. I had just started a new job. I was training, getting up three or four times a night to feed these bottles. It was a rough 
couple sweet and like Matt said the first few weeks he kept us up for like four hours at a time and during all that I would do it all over again I would do it all over a hundred times he's worth everything you know it was hard I was I would have to apologize to my trainer I'm like I'm so sorry I had like two hours of sleep last night can you please tell me one more time like like I'm normally retaining the information more but right now yeah. you know I have you know a, a newborn yeah. and yeah it was a really difficult time in our life but like I said, it's every moment has been worth it, and he is—he's worth it all. I would do it all over again, and we don't know biologically. We're still not preventing it; might still happen. But at this point, I'm—we're both 34. We're getting old, so if it doesn't happen soon, it doesn't need to happen. Yeah. <laughs> um, but if the Lord sees fit to put another child in our lives, we're not opposed to that. That child will be just as loved as Noah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And. And, and Noah, thankfully, is so close to his cousins that I don't feel like he's going to feel like the only child if he is the only child. I'm, we're so blessed that he fulfills all our needs. If he is our only child, we're okay with that. Yeah. Um, we're, we're just kind of, you know, we're not opposed to more children, but if it doesn't happen, he's more than enough. Like, he's given, he gives as much love as we give him. Yeah. And he's yeah. only two. I don't, uh, you know, he's just the perfect, I mean, I hate to say this, but he is the perfect child. Like, there's nothing... And I know all moms will say this about their babies, but like, there's nothing I would change about him. He's, yeah. he's just the perfect child for us. That's we so could good. not, we could not have birthed a child, or made a child that's even any that would fit in even, even more any more than he does. Yeah. And that's it. I mean, he's he's literally our, our son. Like, there's no there's no doubt in my mind yeah. that he was made for us. He is one. <laughs> How about you, Matt? Anything else? I know you kind of started there. But yeah. Um, no, you're fine. You're fine, Val. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, she kind of hit every button there. Uh, it's It's been a blessing from day one, and I know, I mean, he, he, he is a bit of a mama's boy, but, you know, that's all right. Um, yeah, I mean, ju just that he's loved. That's, that's We're so excited to see him grow just, up. Yeah. Every little stage is, we will be right there with every little stage of his life. We're just excited to see where it goes. Yeah. Excited to be his parents. I'm so thankful. So I know um, we got a, a few minutes here before we can we can do another, you know, another part if you want to, or, or kind of get to the end here. So we'll get into the closing prayer here in a second. But I want to share one thing. Hearing this whole story from start to finish, even you know, from y'all born to now, that brings you up on our test on y'all's testimony. And mm -hmm. uh, you already said you would do this all over again. Yeah. Oh. Uh, Adoption is a beautiful representation of salvation. Yeah. We were not part of the Jewish people. We were not part of God's chosen people. But mm -hmm. God said, I want them and sent his son so that we could be adopted yeah. into the holy royal family. So, yeah. And he would do it all over again. Yeah. If he could. Or if he had to. Mm -hmm. yeah. He'll have to let me go. Yeah. Uh, anything else y'all like to share? No, just thank you for having us, yeah. giving us the platform oh, to no. share our story on. and hopefully it bless someone. And if, if you are in that waiting period, like you said earlier, just have faith that God does want the best for you. And just hold out and pray. Yeah. Reach out if you need. Reach out to Andrew if you want to talk to us personally. We'll, you know, we'll help you any way we can. Yeah. Do you all still have that email account active that you did for the adoption? Mm -hmm. I don't think so. I don't know. That's fine. I was going to say, if if someone were to reach out, I could just take that email and give it to yeah. them. But, but it doesn't matter. Either way, we'll get in touch with, I'll get in touch with you somehow, yeah. some way. So, Absolutely. Uh, which, whenever we 
post this, I'll make a Facebook post and tag y'all too, okay. so I'll have access to you. So, cool. all right. Well, anything, anything. All right. Well, I guess we'll go into a closing prayer. Pam, we'll start with you. Then once Pam says Amen, we'll go to Matt. Okay. Heavenly Father, we come to you tonight uh, with friends here, just thankful that we had this experience to try to lift your name up and glorify you, Lord. As in anything we do, we want to give honor to you. Um, we're so thankful for this opportunity and for the little boy that you put in our lives and for bringing us together in marriage and the blessings that you just keep pouring on top of us. We're so thankful. I just pray that we can be a light in lives to people that you know, we can't save them, but we can just be a light to help bring them to you, Lord. Keep using us and help us be obedient and not be selfish and only work towards being a better child of yours. In Jesus' name. God, I want to thank you for uh, bringing us here tonight, God, and uh, allowing us to tell uh, our story of your faithfulness. Uh, I want to pray that you bless uh, Andrew with this podcast, Lord. Uh, what a... What an encouragement it's been to me uh, when I get to drive around and uh, I get to listen to it all day. Um, I just pray that you'll uh, just use this to reach people. Maybe one thing that we've said, God, that could touch somebody or somebody that's going through something very similar. Uh, I just pray that you'll uh, be with us, give us a safe trip home. And uh, in Jesus' name, amen.